Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. Hello out there, my friends. This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com with the second annual BOA Audio Baseball Special. It is March 30th, 2008. We had such a good time last year with the baseball special that we wanted to do it again this year and do it bigger and better than we did the year before. We're bringing back esoteric filmmaker and pundit extraordinaire Paul Kimball, the crackpot historian himself, Adam Go Rightly, and one half of the UFO mystics and author of Project Beta, the esteemed Greg Bishop. Plus, we're bringing in two new players for the Festivus. They are, of course, Lauren Coleman, living legend of cryptozoology, and Richard Dolan, the ultra-popular ufologist, both also huge baseball fans. And that's what this episode is all about, my friends. Baseball. There's not going to be much esoterica except maybe at the beginning and the end of each interview. You know, what have you been up to and what's coming up next. Those bookend the interviews. But other than that, it's pure baseball talk on just so much different stuff. I couldn't even list it right now. The episode's long enough as it is. You can read the preview on the audio page at BOA. If you're not a big baseball fan, I apologize. Chances are you're not even listening to this. But we'll be back next week with, of course, more off-kilter esoteric discussion. And, again, even though they're probably not even listening to the show, the folks who may be outraged that we're doing a baseball special is a overarching point to this episode, and that is really that there's life outside of esoterica. We hope you'll join us and enjoy our conversations about America's pastime. No bios for these folks. I'd be here all day reading the bios for all five guests, but you can find their bios via BOA, of course. They've been on the program already numerous times. So without any further ado, let's play ball. These interviews were recorded over the course of the last couple weeks at various dates and times. Big thanks ahead of time to all the great guests who were more than accommodating as far as setting up these little shortcut interviews to round up all five folks was a bit of a challenge, but thanks to them being so available, we managed to get it together here for the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the second annual BOA Audio Baseball Special. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. After a record-breaking three appearances last year, our guest here has finally made his return to the program just in time for the second annual BOA Audio Baseball Special. He was kind enough to welcome me up to Canada over the summer, so I've actually, I think this might be one of the few guests I've met in person, and I consider him a good friend of mine. And uh, he's one of the leading voices in the world of esoterica. He really uh, is a fine esoteric pundit. His opinions usually are scathing and also very thought-provoking, but chances are we're not going to get into that because we're going to be talking about baseball tonight here for the second annual baseball special. Paul Kimball, welcome back to the program. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Frank. <clears throat> oh, sorry, Tim. Tim, Tim Benal, my good friend Tim Benal, of course, right? How could I? Yeah. Oh, Frank. What a yeah, way to what start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Busting your chops already. Good to be back on Kimball of Canada. Sorry, that was last year. But that all of America. Year. Yeah, especially talking about baseball, which is frankly far more important than anything in the paranormal world. Yeah, that uh, seems to be the case lately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess before we dive into the baseball, let's do just a little, you know, what have you been up to in the last year since we talked to you so people can, you know, familiarize yourselves with uh, what you've been up to because they haven't heard from you in a while. Um, sure. Last time I would have spoke was just on the radio with you would have been when we had just finished uh, Best Evidence. It was mm-hmm. the um, the big Best Evidence special that aired. It's It was uh, critically acclaimed, I'm happy to say, and I just got back from the United States where it picked up an EBE award uh, for Best Historical Documentary. And uh, yeah, no, that was it worked out really well. Um, I finished in the interim a documentary on classical music for Bravo up here in Canada. And uh, I spent a fair amount of time down in the U.S., particularly in Los Angeles, setting up 2008 and 2009, what's going to be coming. And the things you can look for are more UFO-related documentaries from Red Star and um, at least one feature film and possibly two. So we're moving we're moving into the dramatic area of film and television production. Awesome, awesome. Sounds great. Yeah, we had uh, Greg Bishop on the show in January. He was talking about you coming down there to L.A., so... Sounds like it's going to be an exciting time for Red Star. Yeah, and getting to uh, hang out and work with uh, with Greg, who is partnering up with us uh, in in Los Angeles, is it's been a real pleasure. And um, there is not a nicer guy in the sort of paranormal universe that I've met than Greg Bishop. So that alone is makes it worth worthwhile. But the fact that we'll actually have business and work, and we'll get to work together. Hopefully, and get to work with still with you and Nick and um, and maybe Mac Tony's as well on the, that talk show that I wanted to do, which is still in development. But I have every confidence that that's going to go in 2008 as well. Awesome. We'll on that, probably in a couple months. Nice. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Now, uh, last year we sort of uh, tried to tie in the paranormal to baseball, but we've kind of beaten that horse. So we're just going to talk baseball this year. Yeah, and, I got nothing for you. Paranormal and baseball, I got nothing. Yeah, we ran the well dry uh, as it is last year with, with that angle. So, uh, and and as luck would have it, we had the first ever baseball special, and then lo and behold, the Red Sox win the World Series. So let's hope that uh, this year the luck will <laughs> keep going. Excellent. And uh, when we when we were setting up the interview, it sounded like you were really chomping at the bit to talk a little bit about the uh, the Mitchell report. And this whole Clemens thing that happened, of course, in December, Roger Clemens being named in the Mitchell Report and, uh, you know, the hearings and all of the crazy saga that's been going on here in the wintertime. So uh, let's let's hear your opinion of Clemens and the Mitchell Report and this steroids latest round of steroid scandals in baseball. Well, to me, in particular, the Clemens thing is uh, not hurtful, just disappointing because I grew up um, and I'm even older than you are. Clemens was not one of my heroes. I mean, I have different heroes. But in terms of players, he was one of my favorite players. The guy is is a bona fide Hall of Famer. He's one of the great pitchers of all time. And when I was younger, he was he was just coming up with the Red Sox. And I sort of maybe turned away from him when he went to Toronto and New York. But I remember him as, as this ace for Boston back in the 80s. So to hear his name linked to steroid abuse was terribly disappointing if you're a fan of Roger Clemens and the Boston Red Sox and just you know good baseball in general. But <clears throat> so he's one of the big names. Barry Bonds is obviously another one of the big names. But there's a there's a host of like Chuck Knobloch's name was in there. <laughs> you know, um, I don't recall Chuck Knobloch ever being a massive power hitting home run guy. Uh, he's a pretty good second baseman. 
but you realize that these guys were taking steroids. They, by and large, weren't taking, um, and steroids being an overarching term to deal with any of these possible drugs or supplements yeah. that they might have been taking. Most of them legal, some of them perhaps not. Um, but when you see guys like Knobloch taking it and some of the other sort of non-power hitters that you would see or, or even pitchers, you realize they were taking them not necessarily to increase, you know, like the, the old thing, Barry Bonds couldn't have hit 70-some-odd homers unless he'd been taking steroids. No, they were taking him to stay healthy, by and large. Um, that 162 game grind year after year after year takes a toll on your body. And what I think you're seeing is players, I don't think it's any coincidence, people have been looking at the home run stats and saying, well, this means steroids. I look at something else. I look, players are playing longer. There are guys in the major leagues now longer. I, if you look at the average span of a career, I think it would probably be longer than it, it would have been in the past. And I think that might have a lot to do with the fact, yes, conditioning, and they take better care of themselves, but also that they're they're using artificial means of prolonging their career, sort of taking a short-term gain and running the very real risk of long-term health problems or long-term pain. And um, I think that's the real correlation that you're seeing. So I think if Clemens did it, and who knows, you know, it's still an open question, although I think he probably did. You look at his career path, you would say, well, he was a star, and then he started, you know, there's a reason Boston dumped him. It was, he wasn't pitching very well. Yeah. He was injured a fair bit, and he didn't seem to have his stuff anymore. And then all of a sudden he goes to Toronto, and he wins two Cy Young Awards, and then he goes to New York, and he's uh, and he continues on. And his career path looks a lot different now than, say, Dwight Gooden's, a guy he came up with and who was equally as good both when they were young. And Gooden had a good career, but then he flamed out, injuries and, and some other problems. And Clemens just kept pitching and pitching and pitching. And it makes me wonder, you know, Gooden had a drug problem, but I, his problem wasn't steroids. He might still be pitching if his problem had been steroids. And, you know, Clemens, if he had been doing whatever Gooden was doing, might have been out 10 or 15 years ago. So all of that said, yeah, it's disappointing to see the Rocket, who is a bit of an ass. There's no question about that personally, but in terms of uh, being a player, a great player, would have been a great player without whatever he might have taken. And unfortunately now, I think people are always going to look at his career and put an asterisk by it, and I don't think there's anything he's ever going to be able to do about that. And Barry Bonds is the same way, and, well, Chuck Knobloch and Andy Pettit and all those guys. But the thing is, Tim, I think you can put an asterisk next to the entire generation because yeah. we'll never know who was and who wasn't. You know, but you can put an asterisk next to every generation. You can put an asterisk next to Babe Ruth's generation and say those guys never pitched against Negro League players. You know, some of the best players in, in, in the country weren't allowed to play Major League Baseball until Jackie Robinson. Garrick, Ruth, Cobb, Wagner, they never played against blacks. Mm -hmm. uh, so perhaps against all, you know, how, how many home runs would Lou Garrick or, or Babe Ruth have hit if they'd had to face, you know, guys like Bob Gibson, for instance? or Satchel Page in their era, who knows. So every era is different. Every era has, has its things. Our era, it's going to be steroids. But at the end of the day, to me, it doesn't undermine what they accomplished. Clemens was a great player. Bonds was a great player regardless. I mean, you don't hit 300 like Barry Bonds did simply because you're taking steroids. You hit 300 because you're a great ball player. Yeah. And what about the, uh, the Hall of Fame now? Do you think uh, chances are probably – Clemens and Bonds will be on the ballot the same year because they both seemingly retired this year. Hmm. What do you think the odds are for these guys going in the Hall of Fame? Um, absolutely. I, I, Bonds is going to be 
they might have to wait a year or two. You know, they might get punished by sports writers um, who will say, look, you know, we don't like either of these guys, and let's make a bit of an example. But there's a difference between Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens on the one hand and Mark McGuire on the other. McGuire is going to have a hard time getting in the Hall of Fame um, because I don't think his career stats stand up nearly as well to Bonds. I mean, Bonds stole bases. He was a reasonably good outfielder back in the day. He hit for power. He hit for average. He got on. He drew walks. He got on base. I mean, Bonds, despite the fact that he was a jerk, was a great baseball player. Mark McGuire hit home runs and for a few years hit for a decent average. But there were a lot of years where Mark McGuire was hitting 230 and 240. Um, if any player benefited it, really from steroids, I, I would say it was McGuire. Clemens, the same thing. Clemens would have been a 250-300 game winner easy, and he would have had you know four or five Cy Young awards easy. Uh, he was already a Hall of Famer before, I think, before he went to New York, just from his work with, uh, with Toronto and Boston. So, yeah, I don't see how he can keep those guys out of the Hall of Fame. The only possible way would be if they uh, have criminal convictions attached to them and uh, for perjury or whatever. But here's the thing. I don't think either of them ever should have been before Congress or before anything. What business does Con and this gets to the Mitchell report, um, what business does the government have investigating Major League Baseball? As far as I can see, none. There's no reason they should be sticking their nose into this. This is baseball's problem. Um, if baseball wants because what these people were doing by and large was not illegal. Nobody was breaking any laws. They might have been breaking the rules of Major League Baseball. But even that is questionable. Um, so I don't see why you should be hauling uh, guys like even Rafael Palmero or Mark McGuire before Congress. Honestly, you've got a war in Iraq. You've got gas nearing $4 a gallon. Um, the economy's in the shambles. And you're, what, spending your time sort of questioning Rafael Palmero and Roger Clemens about whether they use steroids? Please. Um, so if it's like Bill Clinton. Yes, he lied. but And so that's bad. And he should have been impeach for that. But the thing is, he never should have been asked the question in the first place because, frankly, it's nobody's business whether he got a blowjob in the White House. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not Congress's business whether or not uh, Roger Clemens or anybody else uh, used steroids in Major League Baseball. So even if they're convicted of something, lying to Congress, whatever, even that, I think people are going to look at and go, well, look, no, in terms of the integrity of the game, I don't see how they were any more egregious than anybody else who was playing the game at that time. They just seem to be the guys that sort of get singled out. Joe Jackson? Joe Jackson doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. He threw a World Series. You know, Roger Clemens, if anything, he was trying to prolong his career so that he could help teams win World Series. Uh, and, and I don't think he was um, cheating. And so unless you can prove to me that they broke the rules of baseball, then they should be in the Hall of Fame. All right. There you go. Unfortunately, you don't get a vote, though, right? I do, though. I, <laughs> I do get a vote, don't I? No? Oh. No, this isn't like the uh, like the All-Star game. No. Oh, well. <laughs> McGuire's problem, though, is not going to be necessarily steroids. Um, it's going to be the, um, the combination of steroids and the fact that his stats perhaps are just not good enough when you have that taint of steroids. Paul Merrill had the same problem. I mean, if he if they had hit over 650 home runs, both of them, I don't care what they did, would be in the Hall of Fame. But um, Bonds is a lock for the Hall of Fame at some point. I don't know though, Palmero. He has. Uh, I was under the impression he did have Hall of Fame numbers. I thought he had like 500 home runs and 3,000 hits or something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, he's got good numbers. He's got numbers that for anybody else would probably get them in the Hall of Fame. 
and he might well wind up – I think he's a better bet than McGuire, frankly. But Palmero, there's no question that Palmero lied and um, specifically lied, and he did it in a way that he seemed offended to even be asked the question, and it, the hypocrites don't fare well, as yeah. Governor Spitzer is now finding out. And in particular, I think Palmero is the one that seems, with possible exception of Roger Clemens now, the most hypocritical. But Clemens' numbers are just so good. They're, they're just unassailable for the Hall of Fame. And um, I think Barry Bonds is in that same category, too. Palmero, he's, he might have to wait a couple of years. He'll, he'll probably get in someday. Um, McGuire is the one I think is going to have the real the real problem. So Yeah, and before we set the interview up, you were pretty excited about Joe Torrey heading out to, uh, to L.A., to Bishop Country. Yeah. Uh, so what, what are your thoughts on that, the whole transition of power in New York, uh, the end of the Tory era, Joe Girardi, all that stuff? Let's, let's hear your thoughts on that as a Red Sox fan. I like Joe Girardi. He's a good player, and I think he'll be a good manager. Um, and Joe Torrey was a good player, and he was a good manager, and I think he still is. I think it's win-win for everybody. I think Torrey was tired in New York. I think his time had sort of run its course. He'd, he'd done his thing there. Um, but I still think he has stuff to give. I think what he needed was a team with a payroll, with a, a good core group of players that just needed a swift Tommy Lasorda-like kick in the butt. And that, you know, the Dodgers are that team. They have a, a group of players that could win a World Series if everything falls right for them. So it's not talent they're lacking. What they were just lacking was somebody to sort of say, hey, and then hit them over the head with a shovel. Girardi, you know, Girardi, he's a good manager. I think he's a good guy, and, you know, he's got a good group of players in New York, and he's got all the money that the Yankees organization can bring if he needs to fix a problem. So I think both of those teams are going to be contenders this year. I think you could see a Yankees-Dodgers World Series, which would be great for baseball. I'd love to see it. I wouldn't bet my money on that, but it's possible that either or both of those teams could wind up in the World Series. I think they're both playoff teams this year, absolutely. Yeah. And then who knows what happens after that. So um, so it's good. I think it's a good move all the way around. It's good for Torrey. It's good for Girardi. It's good for the Yankees. It's good for the Dodgers. And um, and it's good for baseball because you need at least some of your marquee teams to be in the playoffs. It's good to have a, you know, a Cleveland or a Kansas City or a Milwaukee, but you, you need a Boston, L.A. Or, or New York, or at least maybe even two or three of those, to, you know, to sort of balance everything out. And, uh, and L.A. has been missing in action for far too long. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of the Dodgers, but I love the Dodgers, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I don't cheer for them, but I just love to see the Dodgers, the, the classic uniform, the history, everything they've got going. And um, and it would be nice. Rather, no offense to the Rockies or the Diamondbacks, but I'd rather see the Dodgers in the World Series than those two Johnny Come Latelys. So um, so hopefully things will swing in the West in the National League back to Dodgerville. What about these Florida teams? Can we should we fold them? You think and maybe move them somewhere else because they fucking both suck and uh, no one even goes to the games? Yes. Look, there shouldn't be professional hockey teams in Florida. That's a no-brainer. Uh, and there probably shouldn't be professional baseball teams in Florida, judging by how things have gone. It's just people go to Florida to go to Disneyland, maybe to catch a Dolphins game if you have to go see a professional sport. But it's just not – it doesn't seem to be a market that's conducive to Major League Baseball and certainly not to the National Hockey League, which I know we're not talking about. But whenever I talk about Florida, somehow the fact that there's um, 
two NHL teams there, but none in Manitoba. <laughs> um, just grates on me a little bit. So um, I, I would say, yeah, I don't, you know, like the Devil Rays. Does it, honestly, the only reason I go see a Devil Rays game is I could catch the Red Sox or the Yankees cheap if, yeah. if they were in town. Uh, and the Florida Marlins, yeah, they got two World Series wins. Good for them. But, you know, that's a franchise that's going nowhere. And so no offense to the good folks of Florida, but there are other cities that I think would embrace baseball, and those teams would be better off in, in those cities, wherever they are. And I say that as a proud Canadian who watched the Montreal Expos, which I think was uh, at one time a very good franchise, wither and die on the vine, and then finally get to move, move to Washington, where they're still a lousy team now, but at least they're a lousy team in a city that actually wants baseball. And Montreal was a city by the end that didn't want baseball anymore. And uh, I think if you've got teams in places where it's obvious that they're being propped up to a large degree by Major League Baseball, um, and I don't mean in direct subsidies, but it's a, compl it's a complicated st story, but they just don't belong there. So give, I don't know, the Florida Marlins to Vegas. I don't even know if a team would succeed in Vegas, but they seem to want a team in Vegas. Give them to Vegas. Put Tampa Bay up in Portland. Nobody yeah. knows the difference. It's always raining. So, you know, give them to give them to Portland, Oregon, and see if a team can make a go there. Or put it in Vancouver, um, up in Canada. You might be able to get a team in Vancouver or whatever city you want to put them in. But uh, but to have them in Florida, it's just not working. And it's, it's probably time that folks went, yeah, no. And then uh, the team that you were really a big a booster for last year on the special, the Detroit Tigers, they've actually uh, – they've – Made some big improvements this year in the off season. I think I'm, I'm getting a little nervous about them uh, when the season starts. Uh, they've added Dontrell Willis and Miguel Cabrera, mm -hmm. who's a big hitter, and also uh, Edgar Renteria, which was an early trade that uh, kind of has fallen by the wayside. Not many people remember that happening, but it, it did right around the early part of the hot stove period. Um, you must be interested in, in how the Tigers are going to do, right? Not really, because I'm, <laughs> I'm not a Tigers fan. Thank you, though jerk for still busting my chops a year later about, hey, that was a good pick last year. It just didn't pan out. They were close. I, I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs this year. So wow. So, yeah. That's a bold prediction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? You really think so? No, it's a tough division. I don't know, though. I mean, the only other team in the division that I think is any good is really Cleveland. Bingo. I was very impressed by Cleveland last year. I think they're going to be even better this year. Uh, so I would take Cleveland... Well, now, look, we're into prediction mode, aren't we? Yeah. We're getting closer to predictions. Well, things how I'm here, you know, it's, to me, it's it's Cleveland, Boston, and New York. One of those teams is a wild card, and I think it's probably going to be Boston. I think New York wins the division. And in the West, it's probably going to be uh, Los Angeles, the Angels, um, the L.A. Angels of Anaheim or whatever they call themselves. Yeah, I, I'd pick them. So, But I, I think the, the Indians, which the Indians are the team to beat in the Central, and Detroit's, you know, they'll have a good season. They'll win 80-some-odd games, maybe in 90, but I don't know if it's going to be enough. Um, they got a shot. I just think Cleveland's going to – is a better team, so. Wow. What did you think of the playoffs? You must have enjoyed them, obviously, because the Red Sox won. I watched the uh, the championship series, and then when the World Series came on, I kind of tuned out after game, like, two, because it was obvious what was going to happen. And it, you know, I just I wasn't quite as interested. I think I saw the last two innings of the final game and went, yay, and then I went back to work yeah. because I was working. And, I, and I, as you might recall, I had been down for a fair bit of it, 
in the United States. I was traveling um, at the uh, X conference and then my extended trip through down to L.A. So some of that was going on, I think, while I was in the U.S. and I wasn't really watching TV or whatever. Um, but the championship series, especially the American League championship series, I did see all of that, and that was great. Yeah, yeah. that was really awesome. It was uh, easily the best of the series that they had. Most of them were all sweeps anyway. Yeah. So it was yeah. kind of disappointing in that sense. But uh, I was hoping the Cubbies would do a little better because that's who I picked last year, and at least they made the playoffs. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not as enthused about them this year as I was last year. So we'll really? see. Really? Yeah, I just don't think. I just don't know if they if they rectified all the problems they had, but you know they got that hundred year thing going, so they might have that that to uh, to prop them up. And one other off season thing I want to ask you about: what about the Johan Santana trade? Because that was pretty big news. It looked for a while like he was going to go to the Red Sox. I wasn't really he was kind of on the fence about that. I wasn't sure if I liked that move or not. But of course, it didn't end up that way. He ended up uh, with the Mets. What do you think of that? Should the Red Sox have done more to get him? Well, you know, what more could you do? <clears throat> they offered him zillions of dollars. It's just the Mets offered him zillions of dollars plus one or whatever. Uh, and the Mets can, are one of the few teams that can spend as much, if not more, than Boston. So they did. And, you know, Red Sox, National League, I think he's actually a better fit in the National League. Um, I think he'll enjoy his time there. And he's probably going to win 17 to 20 games and maybe even pick up a Cy Young award. And um, He'd be good in anybody's rotation. But, you know, the Red Sox, I think they'll do all right without him. All right. Um, Sorry, that seems anticlimactic, doesn't it? But no, no. Um, I mean, I, there wasn't really. I'm sure you're glad the Yankees didn't get him, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, because <laughs> that's a bigger, you know, that's a more um, obvious threat. Uh, I'd be particularly glad that the Blue Jays didn't get him. I mean, they weren't even trying. But if he, all the Blue Jays are one more quality pitcher away from bumping either New York or Boston out of the playoffs. Absolutely. Um, and they do need that one quality pitcher. They got Halliday and then a bunch of guys who are okay but not great. You need a good, solid number two guy there. But they they they're a t they could be a wild card team this year, Absolutely. literally and figuratively. And if I could see them winning 93 games in Boston, winning 91, and you know the Red Sox not making the playoffs or the Yankees not making the playoffs. So yeah, my my wild card predict in the American League, which is to say the team that could actually get in and bump one of those four other four out. To me, it's the Blue Jays, and yeah. and they're a team that could actually go all the way, or they could. You know, win 78 games. You know, they're they're kind of on that you know between the third and fourth dimension in a paranormal sense kind of thing. They they flit in and out, and they're very close to being a really really good team, and they're just as close to being an okay team that doesn't do anything. Peter Gammons is really strong on uh, their number three pitcher McGowan. I think mm -hmm. his name is. He said he's going to be quite good, and and from what I saw of him last year, he was really good. So I think another year of seasoning, he could be really strong. The one thing. Above all other things they have going for them, I would say two things to watch for for the Jays. Uh, Roy Halladay, who I think is probably the best pitcher in the American League, um, especially now that Santana is over in New York. And uh, Scott Rowland, who's looked pretty good in spring training. Um, and if he can come back anywhere near where he used to be as as a player a couple of years ago, then they've got themselves they've got themselves a really good guy. Yeah, they've got a quality roster. Uh, they're definitely sort of flying under the radar right now, but... They're a good pick, I think, if someone's going to pick them for anything. Now, we have your picks here for the American League. you got the Yankees for the AL East, the Indians for the Central, the Angels for the West, and uh, the Red Sox for the wild card, yeah. possibly Toronto if something happens. They get a shot. Okay, now what about the National League? Well, there's the Mets and Dodgers, and then there's everybody else. 
as far as I'm concerned. Whoever wins the Central yeah. and flip a coin, <laughs> um, no shot at going to the World Series. Uh, you know, barring acts of God or something. It's I just don't think it's a very strong division. So so that leaves you with the West, and I think the Dodgers, Torrey will whip those guys into shape. Um, I think the Rockies were a one-hit wonder. Decent team, but they're they're not coming back. So I like the Dodgers, and uh, I mean, how can you not like the Mets? I mean, I hate the Mets, but how can you not like them to get into the playoffs and, and then maybe go all the way? So um, I think, you know, it's probably, if everything plays the way it should, to me, it's a Dodgers-Mets championship series, which I think would be great for baseball. And uh, and I think the Mets, this is the year that they go all the way to the World Series. Oh, so you're picking the Mets for the National League championship? Yes. And what about the American League? Um, you know, I hate to say it, but uh, I kind of like the Yankees. Wow. I, I think there could be a real Subway Series. I told you the other day, I'm getting a little nervous about them. I don't know which way to go yet. Either I'm really nervous about them or I'm kind of like not too worried about them. And it goes either way. But so far from what I've seen in the spring training and everything, they look like they're going to be a pretty good team. And Girardi yeah. might be, you know, might have given them that, that extra boost. I think the uh, I think the Mets are the over the National League's easier. I think the Mets should come out of the NL. Um, the Dodgers maybe have a shot, but I think the Mets are the team to beat and a clear favorite. In the American League, it's tougher. The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Angels, and the Indians I think are all any one of those four teams could make the World Series. I think the Jays have a shot. There are other teams. Even um, the Tigers, obviously, yep. have a shot. Even the White Sox, you know, there are teams out there that if they hit, if sort of everything kind of rolls their way, could have a really good year. Much tougher to pick the American League, but I think the Yankees, I don't know, there's just something. I think that having that new manager and Girardi's a good guy and they still have a good roster and a good lineup. And the Red Sox had their year last year. I don't think they're going to repeat. Um, and the, something about the Angels rubs me the wrong way. So it's, I, think it's either, I think it's either the Yankees or the Indians. I think the Indians have a shot, too. Um, oh, and here's my National League wildcard team. The team that could make an impact would, to me would be the Phillies. The Phillies? Yeah. The Phillies are a team. They're like the Blue Jays of the National League. So would you literally pick them as your wild card? Um, what the hell? Yeah, actually, I'll go with the Phillies because I don't see anybody in the Central being a wild card team. And out west, you know, Arizona, Colorado, San Diego, they're all decent teams. But, yeah, I think the Phillies, they got a shot. I think this might be their year to get in the playoffs again. Um, and in the Central, I'll pick I'll pick the Cardinals. Okay. Because you know, they're going to bounce back. All right. They, they had a horrible year last year. I mean, the guy died. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And they still didn't play all that bad. Um they were in the race even for a while, you know, sort of floating under 500, but they're in a division where floating under 500 puts you right smack dab in the middle of the race. So, yeah, I'll take the cards in the central to, All get, right. to get swept by somebody in the first round of the playoffs. More than likely. Now, I think yeah. you're severely underestimating Arizona. Dude, they have Dan Harron and uh, Webb, both yeah. very good pitchers, and Randy Johnson as their number three, even if, even if he, you know, even yeah. a lousy Randy Johnson is still pretty good. Look, I'm just telling you, I didn't underestimate him. I said that <laughs> the West is a pick'em division. I just think oh, the Dodgers, sure. the, with Torrey, he makes a difference. And I saw the Dodgers play last year, uh, their final game, and they they should have mailed it in. You know, they're not going to the playoffs. It's it's uh, the final game of the season, and it's like, why would you care? And they got down six to one, I think, and they came back and they won. 
uh, in extra innings. And it was obvious just watching them to me, these guys, you know, there were good players on that team and they just needed somebody. They just needed a manager to make the right decisions and have that thing that Torrey has. Very few managers have it, which the ability to lift everybody up and get them playing to their potential. And I think that's what's going to happen with the Dodgers this year. I still don't think it's enough for them to beat the Mets. Um, but it's enough for them to beat the other guys in the National League West. Yeah, and your overall World Series champion pick is the Mets? The New York Mets, and God, it hurts me to say that. Well, but, it's um, better than the Yankees. Yeah, no, I know. No, I'm going with the Mets. I think they beat the Yankees in five. And what so. about, uh, now let's talk a little bit here about the Red Sox, because we really haven't talked much about them. How do you think they're going to do this year? There's the inevitable World Series sort of hangover. The The thing about them going to play in Japan I think has uh, has hurt the team, not in the sense that you got to fly over there, but all this controversy that's been going on. Yeah, that that kind of stuff just isn't good, and so it kind of leaves a bitter taste. I think as the as you go into the season, those two things take a bit of the edge off, and you know they're they're one year older. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they made any significant upgrades over last year. I think they're basically the same team going in. Uh, and that's a team that's, you know, one year older and, um, everything went right for them last year. I don't know if that can happen two years in a row in the modern era. So, yeah. so, uh, so I, they're a contender and, uh, and they will be for as long as they have all that money. I just don't think they're going to be a winner this year, not World Series winner. Yeah, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous going in, but I think we're going to see a monster year out of, uh, Manny and Ortiz. I think they're both going to have big years. Yeah. Because Ortiz is, uh, he got his knee fixed, so he's going to be doing all right, and Manny's in a contract here, so. True. I think they're both going to be. Apparently, Manny's also, uh, become like, uh, like a, uh, he's all into meditation now and everything. <laughs> he's had a real weird changeover in the offseason. He read the book, The Secret. Oh, he's God. He's become an avid reader, too, apparently. So he's got that going for him. Yeah, but you look at the <laughs> roster, even if those. T- Excuse me. Even if those two guys have monster years, there are other guys on the roster who played. They had their monster years last year. Yeah, like, like Mike career years. Mike Lowell and uh, Euclid, who's a good player. But um, there's there were a number of players. Everybody had good years last year. There were no major injuries. It it all went right. And I just don't see that happening two years in a row. I would call it the Detroit Tigers syndrome. That you know everything goes right, and then the next year, well, you know, not quite everything breaks, and it's so competitive in the American League that uh, I, I think you need everything to go right in order to make it through there. Yeah, and it's We're, a long season, so you know yeah. things happen. We saw what happened a couple of years ago with Veritech when he went down; the team went right down the drain. So yeah, you know, all it takes is one key injury, and and you know, things go haywire. If something happens to Beckett. There's going to be all trouble, kinds of yeah. problems. So, well, yeah. yeah, and the same is true, say, of Toronto. Something happens to Roy Halladay. We've seen that with the Blue Jays before. That's the end of their season. And there's very few teams that can survive that kind of hit. I think the Mets are the one team that can really survive a major hit somewhere. And they could, just because of the division they're in, um, but also because of the sort of depth and breadth of their, their overall lineup, um, I think they can probably weather any storm better than anybody else. Which is why I'm picking them for the World Series. There you go. Yeah. All right. I think uh, I think we pretty much covered all the topics here that I was thinking about discussing. So anything you want to plug or anything coming up that you want to mention that hey, we should know about or anything like that, of course, stay tuned to the outstanding blog, Red Star. Is it Red Star Film or Films? Uh, 
the other side truth, www.redstarfilms, with an S, blogspot.com. And um, RetroCon 3. There you go. Yeah, you're going to be at UFO RetroCon 3. I'm seeing if I can work out something for me to get out there. I'm still on the fence about this, so I'm not sure yet. But you'll be at RetroCon 3. Yes. And, and, uh, uh, and working on your big move to, uh, to L.A. And, and future exciting plans for Red Star. Yeah, and if I don't know when you're airing this, but if uh, if it's before RetroCon, Redfern, Bishop, Kimball, maybe Banal, uh, Ken Thomas, Adam Gorightly, um, it's going to be a really good lineup at one of the seven wonders of the UFO world, the Integratron and Giant Rock. Which, if you're really into UFOs, you should try and visit at least once in your uh, in your lifetime. So if you're anywhere near Southern California, um, April 27th and 28th, come on out. We'll be screening best evidence, among other things. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah this will air before the RetroCon, and I definitely recommend people check it out. The lineup is awesome. We're going to have Bishop on here for the baseball special angle, rightly so. There you go. We'll be talking about it anyway, but definitely check it out, and hopefully I can be out there and we can throw some beers back again and uh, raise a little hell out in the desert. Damn straight. Well, Paul, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It was great to have you again. Of course, we're going to have to have you back for a paranormal discussion at some point in the future. Uh, once things settle down a little bit for both of us. And uh, like I said, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, uh, not just tonight, but three times last year, and for welcoming me with open arms up there in Canada over the summer, and maybe we can swing some kind of Canada trip again. I know I'll be up in Canada again this summer. So Oh, really? I, I'm pretty sure. I'm like 90% sure. So if, Well, maybe uh, I'll come over to PEI this time. I, that would be cool. That would yeah. be cool. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, and, and like I said, for all the great stuff. So I uh, wish you the best, and uh, obviously we'll be in touch. We're always in touch. So yeah. take it easy, Paul. No problem. Thanks, Tim. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the second annual Ben All of America Audio Baseball Special. Our guest here is a super cool guy. I actually had the chance to meet him in October, and obviously I've interviewed him before on the show, but having a chance to meet him in person was a real thrill for me, and he uh, exceeded my expectations, went above and beyond what I had expected. Uh, he's truly a, a man of the people, which is something that surprised me because he's such a high figure in his field of cryptozoology. And he appeared last year on the BOA Audio Baseball Special, but only in recap form, a little segment from his previous appearance on the show. And after I talked to him here in October, and we actually uh, had a little baseball connection. We're watching the American League Championship Series at the Mass Monster Mash, hiding out in the green room, trying to sneak away and watch some baseball. And uh, he said he would definitely come back here for the baseball special this year. So we've got him here for some fresh discussion on baseball Ladies and gentlemen, he is uh, the man pretty much in the world of cryptozoology, and he's also a leading figure in uh, suicide study and shooting studies and all that stuff. He is Lauren Coleman. Lauren, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming back for the baseball special. Sure, Tim. It's great to be here, and it was uh, lots of fun trying to uh, deal with those one or two Cleveland Indian fans as we were you know, rooting for the Red Sox in the green room. There you go. Well, I guess before we uh, sort of dive into the baseball, let's just do a little update. What have you been up to since the last time we talked to you, and uh, how have you been in the last, uh, since October at least? What's going on? Oh, it's it's always busy. I've been, you know, writing lots of blogs for Crypto Mundo. I actually just got back from uh, one of my dual 
trips down to Florida, I did a, a little what I call the Pinky Expedition. Pinky is a dinosaur-like creature that was reported during the 1950s and 19, through the 1970s with reports back into the 19th century of a dinosaur-like creature, lake monster in the St. John's River area. So I went out uh, almost every day in a boat or doing a little expedition, gator land and dinosaur land on the side trips. But I also was down there because my son is a shortstop uh, at a co with a college team and a co-captain of the Brandeis University team. So they were playing the UAA tournament series, and they came out on top five wins to two losses for that whole week. And so that was lots of fun. And I happened to be the um, sort of the, the director of the boosters for the Brandeis baseball team and helped out quite a bit with the team down there. Awesome, awesome. Sounds great. Now, uh, what you were telling me when we met in October was that you'd seen a lot of the uh, Sea Dog games up there, because that's right around your area, huh? Oh, definitely. I live in Portland, Maine, and I grew up in a minor league baseball family. My grandfather was the head groundskeeper for the Decatur, Illinois Commodores, which was a minor league farm team for first uh, the St. Louis Cardinals and then the San Francisco Giants. And my family went to almost every game, and I grew up, uh, you know, with my brothers in their stroller, and I was the oldest one. And then my father would uh, help him shag balls. And so when I moved, uh, you know, around the country and then finally ended up in Maine, I was very delighted. Uh, I think it was about 12 years ago that the minor league team, the Sea Dogs, uh, really started here. And that for 10 years, they were a Marlins team, and then... The last two years, they've been a uh, Red Sox double uh, A team. So uh, those first 10 years, I had uh, season tickets uh, with the five other families and would catch a lot of games. But as my boys grew older and older in high school baseball, I would go to less minor league games and more, uh, you know, high school games and then college games. So my time with the minor league team has kind of gone downhill with my uh, own involvement firsthand with baseball. Yeah, yeah. You must have seen a lot of the guys coming up then through the Sea Dogs organization that, that we know about today, huh? Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, Josh Beckett, who was a Marlin, and Renteria. Uh, a lot of those guys, uh, you know, early on were first with Marlins, and then because of John Henry's connection with both the Marlins, then the Red Sox, a lot of those guys you'll see are naturally kind of first Marlins, go to other places, and then, you know, people like Brad Penny and uh, that are kind of sprinkled around the major leagues now, but a lot of them, some way or another, seem to end up back at the Red Sox. So it's been kind of fun to watch that. And then, of course, uh, you know, lots of the new guys like uh, Dust Pedroia and, you know, Papabom, they came through the, the Sea Dogs organization too. Yeah, that's cool. I wish there was, uh, well, there's some minor league teams around here, but it's still kind of a, a hike for me to get out to uh, Lowell or something like that to see them, but definitely uh, get to see a lot of the future stars there. Now, there was a lot of stuff going on here in the off season that, that we could dive into. What what story really piqued your interest the most? I'll throw some out here, and then we'll, we'll talk about whatever one you want to. You know, there was the Mitchell Report and the Clemens uh, saga that happened throughout January, February, and the congressional hearings and all that. Of course, the uh, changing of power at the Yankees 
with Joe Torre out and Joe Girardi in as well. Hank the, in. Too. And Hank, yes, and, and Big Hank. Hank. <laughs> really taking the place of George. So, But, uh, you know, let's let's stop with the steroids. And okay. I think that's a, a really sad episode for baseball. I'm glad that, uh, you know, in some ways I, I really understand why the players didn't want to talk because what's obvious is that, uh, you know, the players are going to be the ones to get blamed and the management usually tries to get out of it, and I think that's quite obviously been part of what we've seen happen. I mean, Clemens, and whether he lied or not, and I think it is developing with the photographs that were taken of him with the, you know, some of the parties that he said he wasn't at and different things like that. We're seeing that Clemens, certainly his ego, which has been quite apparent down through the years, whether he's been with the Yankees, Blue Jays, or the Red Sox, is quite an evidence. But what I really am disappointed about is that there's always been something going on in baseball, whether it was gambling during, you know, the Black Sox era or uh, whatever Babe Ruth was doing with uh, too many hot dogs, too many prostitutes and other things. There, there's always something moralistically to find uh, that's unfortunate about baseball. And yet the game really does happen between the lines. And so to start talking about asterisks or that this era is going to be, uh, you know, the, the record shouldn't be seen as, as really important, I think that's obviously going to be debated by the statisticians and, and different people like that. But in general, the game has been enjoyable. Uh, it's been uh, well played and uh, it's been exciting. I mean, after all, it's entertainment. And just because uh, Paris Hilton has uh, sex tapes out there or, uh, you know, Britney Spears has a bad moment doesn't mean that those aren't uh, good entertainers and other Spears, you know, other parts of the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of the world. And, and we kind of forget that, I think, sometimes about baseball. Baseball is life, but it also is entertainment. It should be fun, and, and we really shouldn't lose, lose a, you know, kind of side of that. Uh, my son and my, my, I have one son who's a shortstop, and obviously I've been very pro-defense for a long time. So in many ways, what I see coming out of the steroids era is a much more attention back again to defense, and kind of small ball and different things like that, which I think really has, uh, even though the home runs get a lot of attention and people have talked about how home runs have really brought the game back sometimes after strikes, I really think that the basics of the game are always going to be there and will always be the foundation. And I think that out of all of this steroid stuff, we're going to see the basic game being played once again, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, yeah. And you can kind of see that in the Red Sox because they really upped the defense in the last few years, especially. Oh, yeah. A lot more bunning always is a good indication that, you know, people are understanding that small ball and suicide squeezes and different things like that are important. Absolutely. Now, uh, now you mentioned Big Hank. What do you think of uh, Hank Steinberg? He's become quite a colorful character here in the in the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry. Came out of nowhere, kind of this year, but he's had a lot to say, it seems. Well, I, I think that the, you know the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. <laughs> the genetics <laughs> are there, and I think the Steinbrenners are carrying on a tradition of you know arrogance and and uh, you know all of that uh, 
possibly firing people and everything. I mean, we've already seen hints of that, and I think that, uh, you know, poor Joe, the new Joe that's in there, Joe Girardi, has to really be watching his back very carefully for whether or not he's going to stay for very long. Yeah. I think that we're going to see some of the same old things from the Yankees. I think that, for, uh, you know, for for Yankees fans, the talent just isn't there, and they've got sort of some young people that aren't so talented and some older people on the team. So, indeed, uh, their kind of stock is going down as the Red Sox uh, seems to be still on the increase. And that must be very hard for uh, those Yankee people that have always wanted to be number one. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be an interesting year for them. I, I alternate between not too worried about them and then kind of worried about them. So I'm not really sure. I'm going to have to wait to see how the first month plays out or so. Yeah, well, I think we always have to be worried about the Yankees. But, uh, you know, we might actually get some trouble from the Dodgers later on whenever we get down to the World Series. Or maybe some, you know, Touring has a good game and is a good manager. And, we may see some of that from the West Coast now. Yeah, yeah, and like uh, Paul Kimball and I were talking last night about this, and uh, definitely got to keep an eye out for the spoiler team at Toronto. I think if they stay healthy, they're going to be a uh, real challenge, I think, in the American League East. Right, right. We just don't have to worry about the Montreal Expos anymore. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what are your thoughts about the Red Sox here as the season kicks off? Not not so much. Uh, I, I almost think of the Japanese games, even though they're official games, they, they still feel kind of like exhibitions to me. But uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the team, how they're going to shape up uh, for 2008? Well, I think the team looks pretty good, the Red Sox. I, I think what's unfortunate, and I've seen seen and read quite a few studies about this, that after team goes over to Japan, it really does take a lot of out of people, and the teams generally come back, and you'll notice that statistically the records kind of dip for a while. So I think that this whole business about kind of being forced to go to Japan and the whole controversy about whether or not they were going to strike uh, due to giving their uh, coaches and uh, you know the extra pay mm-hmm. really sets off the season in, on a bad foot. And so it's very exciting for the Japanese and the Japanese players and, and baseball in general. Baseball is a worldwide game now. So it's nice to see that part of it. But I think the physical and emotional toll that it does take out of the, the men themselves and, and in some ways their families for them to be, you know, 18 hours in a plane to be over there for a week all of the differences about the culture and the food and and then to play those games, come back and try to hit the ground running uh, has been shown to really be a deficit. So um, I, I, you know, I'm excited to watch the games over the weekend and, and next week and all of that, you know, from Japan. But I, I, I think it's a, a bad start to the season, uh, but the Red Sox generally can you know, bring it around by the end, and so I think they're contenders. But, of course, as we saw after 2004, they didn't bounce back for a, you know, year-to-year, you know, repeat. So uh, I'm just very cautious about it. I hope it's there, but uh, Josh Beckett's back problems already worry me. Yeah, yeah. he's He's not going with the team over to Japan. He's having back problems. Schilling's out. So, uh, and who knows how long that'll really, you know, Cologne, who was going to be a savior, uh, is now back with the minor leagues. So uh, we may have pitching trouble already. Some of the young guys, uh, like Burkhoats, is really good, and 
and they may be saviors, but they're young. And, uh, you know, once people figure out their pitches, uh, there's probably going to be a little dip in the middle there for them because then they're going to have to, uh, you know, outfox the, the, the batter. So, so it's, it's kind of, you know, the usual chess game. It's just, once again, it seems like the pitching is, is a vulnerable part for the Red Sox once again. What about Dice K? You think he's going to have a good year this year? I'm kind of predicting a, a pretty strong year because he's sort of hopefully gotten over that initial first year in the majors. Yeah, I, I think for one thing, you know, as a lot of people, understand his first year was supposedly you know so shaky but his first year on the Red Sox would have been a a uh, a sterling year for you know somebody on the Royals <laughs> yeah. so so I think that you know for him to do better will be great and I I do think that there's this cultural adjustment that does happen with the Japanese players and he will be better uh it's just that uh, he already was pretty good so so I'm I'm pretty happy with him. I I think that uh, Okajima, mm-hmm. the uh, the reliever, has already kind of been shaken a bit during spring training. So I'm hoping he uh, settles down. He he ended the year pretty uh, pretty stressed out and weak. I yeah. think. And uh, and so hopefully he'll stretch himself out a little bit better and and have a good year. He was he was one of the surprises for the Red Sox last year, and I'm hoping to see some good things from him. Yeah, I'm hoping for a monster year from both Manny and Ortiz. I'm thinking they're both probably going to be pretty strong this year. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, you know, I think the, my one of my favorites coming up, of course, is uh, Jacoby mm-hmm. Ellsbury. And I think, you know, I did see a lot of him at the Sea Dogs, and he is a, a fantastic player. Uh, and I hope he gets lots of time in center field. And, uh, you know, just the whole idea that he's the, the first full-blooded uh Dene, which is a Navajo, you know, in the major leagues, he has a lot of cultural pride, and I think he'll be really trying to excel uh, for many reasons. And uh, he may be the surprise in the outfield for for the the whole uh, year. I was very impressed with him last year, so I'm looking forward to seeing more of him this year. Uh, it seems like every year there's a team that sort of uh, is the surprise team that's really strong. A few years ago it was the Tigers. Last year it was the Brewers. Is there anyone you think that's going to sort of break out of the pack this season and uh, kind of become a player as far as teams go? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, obviously because the Royals have been so bad lately mm-hmm. that uh, they seem to have, have really tried to readjust over the winter. And, uh, you know, they won't – they may not be in the World Series, but I'm always happy to see teams that are at the bottom really come more to the middle. Yeah. So, uh, um, I mean, I'm an old St. Louis Cardinals fan, and I'm always, uh, you know, interested how Tony Larusa is going to do once again. You know, with all of the challenges of his team, uh, Albert Pujols, I think, really is is a guy that's waiting for a breakout year. And uh, in the year in which we've had to hear so much about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, it may be a guy like Albert Pujols that really pulls things out as far as having a run for home runs or or things like that, that that may direct attention away from any one team, but it may be more individuals, once again, that we're looking at. And uh, what about Bonds and Clemens? Do you think they're finished now? We won't be seeing them play again? Oh, I don't think you'll – well, Bonds, I think, is going to try. Yeah. And so uh, he's already – he already played under a cloud with the Saint, uh, San Francisco Giants, so I think we may – see him back and I would predict he'd probably play for a Florida team 
Um, and so I, I'm really looking to him getting a few shots back down there. Although uh, uh, I think a lot of people would be just as happy to not see him play ever again. And uh, I, I think definitely Clemens is done. I just think he's a, he's a bitter man now. Uh, he feels really betrayed by Pettit and other people. And I don't see him out there on the mound again. And I think that that until this is resolved for him, whether or not he's indicted or, you know, um, perjury charges are brought or whatever, uh, that that may be good to really have him be in the background just for baseball. And like you were talking about asterisks and all that stuff and, and sort of the cloud that's over the whole era, what do you think about the Hall of Fame chances for uh, Clemens and Bonds? Because they're probably going to be on the ballot the same year if uh, if they both stay retired now. Well, I think it's in the same uh, ballpark, so to speak, uh, to use that metaphor, <laughs> as uh, Mark McGuire. I think that Mark McGuire was an excellent player, did many good things, and you'll never see him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, because of the testimony, because of the less than forthright, forthrightness at the end of his career. And I think that's really unfortunate. I think Barry Bonds, Clemens, uh, you know, Canseco, uh, Palmero, a lot of, yeah, Palmero, a lot of those guys, which we would expect it to be in the Hall of Fame, just won't be going. And it may be after all of us are dead that some veterans committee way in the future will vote in Clemens because they'll look at his overall record and say, you know, well, my God, you know, Babe Ruth had some outrageous things he did. And, he, you know, but there's also some other Negro League players that have been forgotten that really probably need to get in long before Clemens. Now, you're kind of, uh, you're within the realm of, uh, you're in the New England area. Do you ever get a chance to go down to Fenway much? I know, you know probably as well as I do how hard it is even to get tickets in general, but do you ever get a chance to, to go down to Fenway and see a game? Well, usually once a year. I, di I didn't make any game last year because I was so involved in going to uh, college games all around New England. I mean, there's a uh, Salem State game, and, you know, I, I just travel all over New England to see my my son's team. So uh, I've kind of skipped Fenway, but oftentimes what happens is I would go to a UFO conference in Seattle, and as part of my speaker's fee, they would get me a ticket to the Seattle Mariners against uh, some other team. So I often do that. I often end up seeing uh, major league games around the country that are kind of hooked in with my speaking engagements about cryptozoology or paranormal or, uh, you know, Fortean phenomena. So that's been quite interesting to do. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, I took a trip out to San Diego last year and, and caught a Padres game, so I, I can see uh, it's kind of fun to see some of the other teams and, and see what their parks are like and stuff like that. Right. I actually, during the middle of the 70s, uh, I went to quite a few San, San Francisco games, and that was horrible at Candlestick Park. I'm glad they replaced that one. <laughs> it was so cold. <laughs> you wouldn't expect it from San Francisco, but out there on the point, it was just freezing cold. And, and actually, I've been to a Padres game back in the days when it was at the old uh, the old stadium that was all brown. So it, it, it's nice to see some of these new parks. And, and actually, in Portland with uh, Hadlock Field, which is a, a, an outstanding baseball, minor league baseball field, it's it's good to be able to go down there and, you know, really kind of enjoy some old-time games in a, a good park. And what was great, of course, for my sons is that uh, since the field was originally the high school field and then the 
uh, city took it over to make it into a minor league park. Uh, all of the baseball players that are in high school in Portland get to play in a minor league baseball field. So that's, that's quite a privilege. Yeah, that's cool. That sounds neat. Have you ever been to uh, Wrigley? Oh, yeah, I've been to Wrigley. I grew up in Illinois. Oh, okay. And grew up in Decatur and went to school in Southern, uh, undergraduate school at SIU. And so I had um, I had family in the Chicago area. would go to Wrigley. I've been to the old Comiskey Field and then, of course, to uh, the old Bush Stadium. I haven't been to either one of the new fields, uh, you know, either the new Bush or the new Comiskey, but... Uh, those old parks were really, really quite enjoyable. I'm so happy to to know that the uh, new ownership of the Red Sox really want to keep Fenway. Yeah. Um, you know, it's our, sad to see places like Tiger Stadium go. I've been there, too, was to the old one. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, as far as uh, how hard it is to get Red Sox tickets, nowadays the joke is if you want to see the Red Sox, you got to go to Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite true. I mean, I... I think it was uh, maybe 10 years ago I I got uh, tickets to the Red Sox for my son and his girlfriend, and they were like, it cost me like $600 after I was gone, because you'd have to, you know, you have to go online and find somebody that wants to sell them, and to get good seats, they're just not that easy to get. Uh, what about uh, Jim Rice? Think he's going to get the call next year for the Hall of Fame or no? No, I don't think so. Uh, uh, it's funny, my son did an internship at uh, Nesson. And I actually was able to talk to Jim Rice on the phone once. He, I, I got some uh, going away cake for them once, and he got on the phone and and jokingly yelled at me for not getting them plates to go with the cake. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got he's he's a guy with a great sense of humor, and I think he's he's had to really I've seen on many local shows here in the New England area where he's had to have a great sense of humor about not being in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and he was one of those regular sort of everyday players that, uh, you know, did excel once in a while. But I, I think that he's just uh, – he's not been a celebrity enough to get in the Hall of Fame. And uh, it's going to take some while. What about Schilling's chances, you think? You think he's going to get in the Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah. I think Schilling will definitely get in the Hall of Fame. I mean, hes they've got to let him in just because of the bloody sock. I mean, they let the bloody sock in, so they've got to let him in. I think the thing with Schilling is he's such a baseball guy, he doesn't want to let go. And I think at some point he's going to have to really wake up, have a conversation with his his family and say, you know, I've got to quit this year because he's the kind of guy that I really see his record kind of slowly, uh, you know, eroding over the years because he wants to stay in the game, but he's going to really getting worse and worse. Um, his back, his, you know, all of the, his different parts of his body are just not taking it. And he's not a, you know, he's not an overweight kind of guy, but he's, he's certainly not spelt. And I think that extra weight really is causing him some problems. Uh, and, and yet he's, he's such a tough personality, uh, not, not kind of aggressive like Clemens, but there's a toughness to Schilling that wants to make him tick you know, to keep playing. Yeah. I, th- I think the days of, uh, of you know, coming back mid-year and getting a contract are, are really over. And Schilling, I don't think would, you know, he'll come back mid-year, but it'll just be because his health will allow him to. Yeah, yeah. You think this is probably his last year? Well, I, I'd say, you know, half of this year and maybe half of next year, and then I think he's going to realistically quit. Yeah, because he, he was sort of just barely hanging on there last year or so, but he did pretty good in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, he does. He's a he's a big game guy. 
but it's uh, it's that back and forth. I mean, I think Wakefield is kind of the one that, you know, for the Red Sox, that it will be interesting. He just, with the uh, the kind of pitches he does, he's going to last a long time. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big Wakefield fan. I'm hoping he he sticks it out long enough to break the uh, the wins record for the Red Sox because he's only about 30 wins away from that. Yeah, Cy Young, I guess, has it right now. Yeah, I think it's a t- uh, tie between Cy Young and Clemens. I think they have like 190-something, and, and I think uh, Wakefield has something like 169 or something like that. Well, we should take some of Clemens' wins away then, right? <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, I, I think Wakefield will just hang in there and do that. He's a pretty good ball player. Um, all right, now it's the uh, prediction part of the show here. We we got the predictions from Kimball. We're going to try and do predictions from all the guests. So we'll, we'll go through the divisions. Pretty much I uh, just want to know who you think is going to win the divisions and then the you know the championships and then the World Series championships. So we'll, we'll run down the list here. Uh, American League East, who do you think has got it? Oh, I think the Red Sox will take it. American League Central? You know, I think Detroit's going to surprise people. Yeah, I think they're going to be a really good team this year. But those trades, I mean, yeah, picking yeah, up I Dontrell think... and Miguel Cabrera and Renteria, I mean, that's quite a that's quite a haul. they got quite a lineup now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's – I think they got a pretty good bid for that. Okay, what about the American League West? Jeez. Um, I guess I'll have to go with the A's just because I think they're an annual favorite. Wow, all right, all right, going on a limb there, I like that. Uh, they're a long shot, but I, I think I'm going to go with them. Okay, and how about the wild card? Wild card, I think the Yankees, unfortunately, I have to be realistic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think the Yankees have the the ability to really be end of the year, good playoff kind of guys, and I mean, you know, get, getting themselves set up for the playoffs, so... Uh, I have to say the Yankees. Yeah, especially if it if it comes around July or something like that, and they're they're out of the hunt, then I expect some big moves from them, and and you know they yeah, they I don't give they, up you know, easily. They, if they can do things like move Chamberlain from relief to starter and stuff like that, they'll really have a good shot. All right, now on to the National League. National League East. National League East. Well, um, I guess the Mets. All right, there's a few good teams there. There's a few. Uh, there's a few teams. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, good some good ones there. And then what about the uh the the doghouse of the of the of the Major League Baseball, the National League Central? Well, I'm just gonna go with the uh, personal prejudice here and say the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay. Just and, for the management. There you go. There you go. And uh what about the National League West, which is really shaping up to be a tough race? Yeah, well I think the Dodgers. Uh, I think that Tory's gonna bring off some some miracles there. And so I do think the Dodgers will bring it out. Okay, and, and the wild card for the National League. Ooh, wild card. I'm going to go against the grain here and say the Marlins. Wow. All right. <laughs> wow. I like that. It's just a real surprise wild card. Wow. That's good. That's a good call. I like that. And uh, what about who you think is going to be facing off uh, in the in the World Series there, with National League versus American League, who do you think the champs are going to be? Um, I, I think I'm... Uh, you know, getting away from my uh, my favorites here and trying to just – I think it, we may see an amazing matchup between the Dodgers and the Yankees. All right. And who do you think is going to win it all? I think the Dodgers will win. Wow. All right. Nice. There you go. And <laughs> You know, I, I want to put the asterisk here is that I, I certainly hope it's the Red Sox, but uh, I'm just trying to go with a, a psychic prediction. There you go. <laughs> 
there you go. It's in keeping with the format of the theme of the show here, so I suppose right. that, that works. And, and uh, you know, it's a long season. Anything can happen. So we saw, like I was saying to Paul last night, uh, you know, we saw what happened to the Red Sox when Veritech went down a couple of years ago. Everything went right oh, down yeah. the toilet. So, you know. That, well, and they're, they're, the Red Sox are using cash, you know, instead of, uh, you know, any kind of usual backup catcher. So. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the season. I think it's going to be it's going to be fun. It's it's uh, I feel like after the Patriots loss, I'm ready for the <laughs> I'm ready for the baseball season to start for sure. Uh, what do you have coming up for you that you want to plug or anything coming up and and stuff that's going on? Of course, people can always find out more from you at cryptomundo.com and uh, Copycat Effect blog. Of course, both right. awesome websites and and must read websites. You got to check those out daily, folks. I'm telling you, they they're the best sites out there for for news on cryptozoology and, and the fascinating school shootings phenomenon that, that you really are just amazingly on top of. Thanks, Tim. Well, it's interesting. This, I'm, I'm going to be uh, traveling quite a bit, doing a lot of different talks uh, in Alberta, in Kentucky, in Ohio. Uh, I'll be at the Monster Mash again this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, and then I'm actually just recently been talking to some people about uh, being in Colorado in November at a talking, uh, at a gathering of ghost hunters. So uh, I'll be branching out. And I actually am trying to work right now on uh, going over to France for the History Channel during May. So that could be quite exciting. Oh, wow, France. That's cool. They have much, that's for a cryptozoology theme thing, right? Yeah, it would be for uh, about werewolves. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, you know, those things sometimes actually do come through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, what do you think of that Monster Quest show, actually, before I let you go here? Because I'm really enjoying that. It's one of the better shows out there, I think, for paranormal stuff on, on TV. Yeah, I think, you know, Monster Quest Season 2 is starting up, and they've asked me to actually – I helped them with Season 1 with the uh, Cryptid Canines episode, and I'll be helping them with more of the ones in Year 2. I think it's well done. It's obviously – it's by Doug Hajek, who did the uh, Sasquatch Legend Meets uh, Science uh, documentary. So mm-hmm. he has this kind of, you know, including a few skepticism, you know, skeptic approaches, but also lots about physical evidence and eyewitnesses and recreations, but a little bit different than what you see on uh, Destination Truth, which tries to be more Blair Witchy, I think. Uh, and so has a much more scientific background. But in general, the History Channel, Science Fiction Channel, Discovery, and uh, Travel Channel are getting more and more into cryptozoology, so it's it's a very good time for uh, television documentaries. Yeah, yeah. And I was saying to somebody at the, uh, at the beginning of the year, we were kind of looking at the trends, and it definitely feels like cryptozoology is on the, on the hot trend, if you will. It's definitely seemed to be picking up big time this year. Yeah, Maybe I think people are... Ghosts are burning out on the ghosts and the UFO documentaries and really moving into understanding there's just as many, if not a lot more, uh, animal stories out there. And animal stories uh, about cryptozoology really do get the wildlife people involved, <clears throat> as well as the, the more green uh, audience. So that's that's probably... A lot of pluses there for cryptozoology. Absolutely. Well, Lauren, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show, especially for the uh, lighthearted, off-topic sort of baseball special. I really appreciate it. I had a, oh, it's lots of fun. Lots I, of fun, Tim. I had an amazing time meeting you uh, last October, and like I said, folks, he's the real deal. He's a real man of the people, and I really appreciate that. 
Someone in his position could be a crazy egomaniac, but he's not. He's the most down-to-earth guy I've met in the field and easily one of the coolest people I've had the chance to meet in the field. So I, I can't put you over enough, Lauren. I was very just just starstruck at first, and then I'm like, wait a minute, Lauren's just like me. He's a, <laughs> he's a baseball fan. He just wants to watch the game. Don't talk to me during the game, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. And uh, hopefully we can have you back on the show for an esoteric interview and, and talk about the school shootings and the cryptozoology stuff sometime in the not-too-distant future. Sure, I'd be glad to. Thanks awesome. for uh, having me on today. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Continuing onward here with the BOA Audio Baseball Special. We've got our resident uh, Yankee fan here now for for the special. We're going to get all thoughts on all the big changes in the Yankees and all that fun stuff from our next guest. He is the author of the outstanding book, UFOs and the National Security State, Volume 1. Uh, I hope we're not going to pester him about Volume 2 here, but we'll, maybe we'll find it. <laughs> He's probably tired of hearing about it. But he is, uh, of course, the outstanding Richard Dolan. Everybody loves Rich Dolan. I get more feedback from his interview still today after two years since he's been on the show, I still get people saying, when are you going to get Rich Dolan back? Yeah, I love that interview with Rich Dolan, putting it on lists of favorite episodes and stuff. So it's great to have him back and talk baseball with him. And I didn't know he was a big baseball fan until I met him at the Crash Retrieval Conference, and, and uh, we talked a little baseball there at the banquet, so it was a fun time. Rich, welcome back to the program. Thanks for being a part of the baseball special. Thank you, Tim. Boy, this is fun. I've never done a baseball interview before. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Before we dive into the baseball talk, let's just you know update folks on what you've been up to since the last time we heard from you. We uh, we did a little shortcut interview at the crash conference, uh, November of '06. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a while. So well, what I've uh, I've been actually spent the last few months today, in fact, uh, writing my next book, uh, the, the second volume of my study, UFOs in the National Security State. I've got about 350, 400 pages done. I'm happy with it. Uh, I like the way it reads, and there will be a third volume, which will actually be a three-volume history when it's finished. Big fat study. So, um, but this year I think should be the year that the second volume comes out, which will go right up to 1991. And I'm excited about it. Actually, I'm very happy with um, the research, the writing. It's it's really coming together in a way that I'm I'm pleased with. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's small to us 80s. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about the UFO world in the 80s. Yes, exactly. exactly. Now let's talk baseball here. You revealed to me that you are a Yankee fan. When we I have am a, indeed. I, listen, I ask people not to hold it against me. I grew up as a Yankee fan. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, uh, and grew up mostly on Long Island. So that's New York Yankees, New York Mets territory. My grandfather was a lifelong, hardcore New York Yankees fan who had actually been, I'm not kidding, at Luke Gehrig Day in 1939 when Luke Gehrig gave his speech, The Luckiest Man on the Face of the Earth. My grandfather was there. When I was a kid, he used to take me and, and two of my cousins to Yankee Stadium all the time. I touched Mickey Mantle when I was 11 years old at Old Timers Day. So, look, man, I was just, there's no way that I could ever not be a Yankees fan. Hey, that's fine. Yeah, that's cool. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a Red Sox fan. That's why. <laughs> I know. Well, it's like it's like a bizarro version of me. So it's <laughs> it's all good. Well, let's let's talk about the changes in the Yankees in the last uh, over the off season here. Joe yeah, Torre's yeah. out. Joe Girardi's in. Um, what, what do you, what do you think about that change? I'm, I'm very excited about the uh, the way the Yankees are looking this year. And I, I was always a, a big fan of Torre. Uh, you know, he he was manager of the Yankees for 12 years, and uh. You know, Torrey was is the only manager in my memory 
to uh, the other guests because they're both Red Sox fans, Lauren Coleman and Paul Kimmel. I'm getting, I'm getting a little nervous here about them. they got a little more of a swagger back than they have. Well, this is what the Red, you Red Sox people are always afraid of the Yankees. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't matter how good the Red Sox are, and the Red Sox are great, but they're always afraid of the Yankee fans. By the way, I want to point out, I predicted the Red Sox were going to win the World Series. Um, I was very proud of this. Um, when they hired Bill James to uh, come into their front office, and for some people listening, if if they are followers of what is known as sabermetrics in baseball. I'm a big sabermetrician uh, in baseball. In other words, it's the study of baseball statistics in, uh, let's say, a much more sophisticated way than traditionally had been the case. Bill James is the guy who really created modern baseball sabermetrics, and he was brought on to the Red Sox uh, front office, I think, in 2000. One or 2002, around then. And when that happened, I said to some friends of mine, within five years, the Red Sox are going to win the World Series. They're going to reverse the curse. And they did. And I think in a large part is because they really have put together, I mean, very intelligently put together baseball teams every single year and um, focusing on on-base percentage, which is really one of the things you do with, with uh, contemporary understanding baseball. 
stats because on base is what matters. It's not your batting average. Um, I just I always like the way the Red Sox are put together every year, and they have been a very very top notch team, you know, for a few years now. Yeah, it's it's been an exciting uh, few years here. I suppose yeah. with your with your appreciation of the young pitchers, then I'm, I guess you're glad that they didn't go through the Johan Santana trade. Oh yes, I was very happy about that. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, Santana's phenomenal, but he's also you never know with a guy like he could be phenomenal for another ten years, uh, but he also could be peaking now with pitchers, especially a guy who gets a lot of innings like Santana. You never know, and then of course you're gonna pay so much money. Yeah. Uh, for a guy like this, and you're gonna mortgage, you know, other aspects of your team. And the Yankees, they've got a good team in certain ways, but they've got some some uh, patches they could fill. They've got a big hole at first base. It looks like. Um, you could get always expect a turnaround from Giambi, but then again, you might not. Jason Giambi might just be done. Uh, he hasn't hit really well in quite some time now, and he's not even uh, getting on base in terms of walks. So, uh, you know, and then there's uh, Jeter at shortstop, who I think defensively is is a um, in danger of becoming a serious liability. There are people who believe he's already a serious liability. And that's not going to improve when you're, you know, 34 uh, years old playing shortstop. So they're going to have to do a few things to, to keep it fresh. They're going to move people around. Yeah. What about the uh, the tenuous relationship between uh, Alex Rodriguez and, and the Yankee fans and stuff like that, especially uh, even worse after he left the team and came back this year uh, in the offseason and all that stuff? Well, I'm an A-Rod fan. I think that uh, he is absolutely around, um, you know, all around the best baseball player, most talented player in the game, the best impact player. Uh, Yankee fans didn't like Mickey Mantle throughout most of the 1950s, so they, they just, they, this is what they do. Um, Alex Rodriguez is not a guy that I ever would expect to meet personally, so I don't know, but from the things that uh, I hear about him, he seems to be a, um, a kind of a sensitive soul, and Occasionally uh, dealing with a rough New York crowd, or even a tough, you know, Boston equally tough crowd. I think, um, you know, when there's all that pressure to to be Superman, sometimes I think it gets him. I think there were times during the season when it affected his his performance. It sort of looked like it. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I gotta think that a, a player like that is um, beyond, you know, really truly worrying about what each, you know, what the fans think. Uh, you just have to go out and, and play your best because fans are never going to be satisfied. And you were saying you uh, you went to the Yankee Stadium a lot as a kid. Are you are you uh, saddened that they're going to be tearing it down and opening up the new stadium? No, what do you think of that? no, I don't. I don't have a strong opinion about this. I, I haven't gone to a major league game in a long, long time. In fact, I probably would have uh, slipped right out of it had it not been for the fact that I have a father-in-law who's a professional Yankee heater. And uh, <laughs> so we were, and, and really, we, we were like the, we were like Archie Bunker and Meathead for years and years. So the only thing we could really talk about would be baseball. Uh, and that kind of kept me going with baseball. And so I've had this resurgence in the last, you know, a little more than a decade now. Um, but I don't have, I think uh, the old Yankee Stadium is certainly in need of renovation. Uh, I don't like the fact that, that cities are being forced to pay the tax bill for these stadiums. I mean, that bugs me. That's everywhere you go. I mean, yeah. cities are basically held at gunpoint by the teams and said, hey, you know, make people pay for this. Uh, it wasn't like that in the earlier years, of course, where the, the teams were responsible.
um, let's let's be capitalist here, okay? Um, it is not my job or your job to to fund <laughs> to put out public funds for the sports stadium. Uh, I just I don't believe that. Um, but that's the way it's gone. So. But you have no nostalgic like uh, longing for them to keep the stadium going like we have no, here in Boston. No, type of thing. no, give me a break. <laughs> now, well, I do have nostalgia for for baseball. I I play 19th century baseball. To this day, I've, this is my sixth, seventh year now. I'm 45 years old, Tim. The body gets creaky. Let me tell you, it does. But I still go out and I play 19th century baseball at a local um, museum as an exhibition league, and we play um, 25, 30 games a year. The greatest day in my life wasn't any UFO-related thing. It was the day that I pitched a complete game shutout championship game, I'm not kidding you, in 2004 against a team from Boston. <laughs> to win a five-game uh, tournament, uh, my team, we out of like 20, 25 teams competed, we won. And I pitched three of our five games, including the final championship game. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk a little bit about the, uh, the the difference in the rules and what that's like, actually, because uh, I've seen oh, some clips yeah. of that, but a lot of people probably haven't. Yeah, it's called well, vintage baseball, and, and anyone who's listening, you could probably do a very quick uh, search on vintage baseball. There's a lot of teams out there now that do this. Um. Baseball, as many people realize, evolved over a long, long period of uh, time. And in America's night, in the 19th century, here in this country, there was uh, lots and lots of variations of what would become baseball. Uh, in the version we play, which is in early 1860s, uh, there are no gloves. Of course, baseball gloves had not been developed or invented. The pitching is underhand, so it, it looks a little bit like softball. You have bases that are 90 feet apart, though. You have an outfield that's a standard size outfield. So, you know, you could watch the game and you would, and there's three outs. I mean, all of that is uh, is pretty much the way it is today. Walks, there were no bases on balls. Uh, that rule evolved uh, through the 1870s and 1880s um, until finally four pitches out of the strike zone would be a walk. But in our version, you have an umpire who will basically just have the pitcher, you've got to lay that ball in there so that the striker, the batter, can can strike at the ball. And the umpire would not even call balls and strikes unless he felt that the pitcher or the batsman was not offering at uh, appropriate, you know, baseballs. So, uh, but for all of that, the games move along very quickly. Like a typical nine-inning game will take about 90 minutes. And what kind of bats uh, do you guys use? Uh... You know, we try to be authentic about it. The uh, the handles are, are wider than contemporary bats. There's no whip-handled bat like what you really get today. In other words, what players do in, in modern times is you, you have as thin a handle as possible because what that does is it increases your bat speed. You can whip around the bat much faster. But this was not done at all in the 19th century. I mean, this has not really been understood. The modern player who, who revolutionized that, incidentally, was Ernie Banks who uh, came up as a fairly light-hitting shortstop in the 50s and then went with a whip-handled bat and started hitting like 40 home runs a year in the 50s. But uh, our bats, the, the handles are thicker. They, and there's all kinds of weird designs painted in weird ways, and they get kind of funky with it. I don't know how authentic some of that is, but it looks <laughs> good to me. Yeah, it sounds like fun. Yeah, I've seen some clips of it. Like I was telling you, they did like a Conan O'Brien thing where he played for a team uh, – and they didn't oh, really? Like skit for it. Yeah, I'll have to check Very it out. Cool. If I can find it on YouTube, I'll send you a link or something. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Vintage Baseball is a great game, and I've really come to love it um, at least as much, maybe more, in a lot of ways, in the modern game, which I still enjoy. But 
there's a certain beauty about uh, the field that we play on. We have this gorgeous field. It's a true field of dreams, I must say. It's at a place called the Genesee Country Museum, which is in upstate New York. And uh, I mean, we we played for spectators, many as a thousand people or more of times have come to watch our game. Oh wow! And, so, and sometimes it's like a hundred or fifty. But, oh, um, yeah, it's fun. Sounds like a good time. Back on the Yankees here. What about uh, Big Hank Steinbrenner? He's kind of emerged as the new uh, yes, he has voice. Yes. Well, uh, George Steinbrenner's. Uh, you know, it was, I think it was very evident that he had not been very well uh, for the last couple of years, so I guess it was inevitable. Uh, I'm just happy that he didn't want to pull the trigger on the Santana deal. I mean, this is something that I could have seen George wanting to have done, yeah. which is sacrifice uh, the youth to get a, a big-name star. Um, maybe some of the credit for, um, for influencing Hank Steinbrenner might be Brian Cashman. Uh, the Yankees general manager, I suspect that he has, um, I mean, the impression that I get with Cashman is that he wants to hang on to the youth. And so if Hank Steinbrenner is willing to listen to what I think is a very good general manager, then so much the better for the Yanks. One subject that we really talked about a lot uh, in the other two previous interviews, but I, I purposely sort of held it off till now just so we didn't beat the dead horse, was the uh, the Mitchell report and all the all oh, the controversy yeah. that came out of that. Right. I'm sure, being someone who's interested in politics and all that kind of thing, I'm sure it piqued your interest too with the congressional hearings and everything. What do you think? Absolutely, absolutely opposed to any involvement by the federal government in baseball. I mean, honestly, the, the U.S. government has no business, zero business, getting involved in investigating steroids. None. Why? I mean, what is the point here? Uh, what what it has done is it's going to turn people like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in, literally into criminals, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is far, far out of control. Uh, it's one thing – I mean, it's not that anyone supports the use of steroids. I think everyone pretty much opposes uh, what you know steroids represents. It represents cheating. Okay. Um, having said that, everyone knows – that steroid use, whether it's HGH or whatever other substances are, are out there, human growth hormone or whatever, is extremely widespread. All right, the Mitchell report, uh, in my opinion, does. I'm not accusing uh, Senator Mitchell of of bias here, but it does look very heavily uh, geared toward former Yankee players. Yeah. And from my perspective, and and you know, there's no way you're going to convince me that that's an accurate proportion in terms of steroid abusers that, you know, most of them are, are former Yankee players. It just doesn't seem very credible to me. So I think I think that there is a legitimate argument that some of the Yankee fans have made on the blogs and out there that uh, not that they're accusing him of, of anything, but that it, it really doesn't it doesn't look objective. And then to get a guy like Roger Clemens who oh, I feel bad for Roger Clemens, to tell you the truth. I mean I honestly really do. Okay, I think like most people think that he's probably lying through his teeth about it. But this is like with uh, with Bill Clinton when he was accused of, of smoking weed, yeah, you know? or or having the affair. I mean, you know, here's Hillary five feet away from him. I mean, who's going to say to the world, oh yeah, I, I you know slept with, I had a, <laughs> I had carnal relations with this other woman. I mean, no one's going to say that. And it's the same with Clemens now. Clemens has just put together the most amazing Hall of Fame pitching career of modern times. I mean, better than Tom Seaver, who was the kid, the guy that I grew up idolizing as a you know pitcher. 
Clemens was better than that. I mean, he really was. And so now, you know, he doesn't want to admit this. And so he's been forced into a position of, of lying. And that's bad enough. But now what makes it worse is that because the federal government is involved, it's really going to put him at risk of, uh, of more serious consequences, i.e. jail time. And the same with Barry Bonds, I think. Yeah. I mean, Bonds, and this is just, it's not right. The, the, we're living in uh, such an, a time of overbearing government micromanagement of our personal lives. And I just want to say, get the hell out of my life, guys. <laughs> yeah. Get out of their life. Leave these guys alone. Leave Major League Baseball out of it. Out of it. There is no business that any central government has in, in putting baseball players to prison over steroids. And in particular because whatever crime they may have committed, I mean, is not it's not like we're lying about having committed a murder. Yeah. <laughs> They're lying about having taken steroids to, to break some baseball records. In which, by the way, let's be upfront about it, there is so much pressure on these guys to do this. And, and I don't buy the argument that some have made that, uh, well, I can understand a minor league player taking steroids to try to make it into the major leagues, but these guys are at the top of their game. They have no excuse. That's baloney. Okay, because no matter how good you are, there's always some other guy who's going to try to be better. Mm-hmm. And and these athletes are world class professional athletes. They take a lot of pride in what they are. They want to be the best, and they know that other guys who are just about at their level are taking them. And their attitude. And we know that this was with Barry Bonds when Mark McGuire broke all his records. And Bonds is thinking, I'm better than that guy. How come he's getting all the glory, and and I'm here in the decline phase of my career? <laughs> yeah. So he starts juicing up. And uh, and then plus there's money involved, even you know especially for the big the big names like Clemens and Bonds because I mean Clemens made twenty million dollars in playing half a season last year. Good grief! You think there's not a financial incentive? So there's so much money involved in baseball in these professional sports that you just know that any athlete is going to have a massive amount of incentive to take whatever he can take to be at the top level of competing. And we've got to figure out a way in, in, uh, in professional sports to uh, bring some rationality into um, how we deal with this. You know, it's like we're still the puritanical society we were 300 years ago when we came over on the Mayflower. I mean, we've got these hypocritical attitudes like this is right, that's wrong, 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 wrong. Okay, and you let it go because when you have such a strong moral outrage, Human beings are human beings. There's always going to be people who break the rules, and you just kind of let it go until then there's a reaction, and then you enforce all those rules, and they're overreacting. Yeah. And um, it saddens me, and I just think it's uh, – I don't know what to do about HGH. I think at this point, until you can you can test for it, you just have to let it be legal. I can't see how fair it is to um, – to make it illegal when you can't test for it. Yeah, yeah. It seems like the only. If you can find a way to test for it, then you know, sure, whatever, <laughs> ban it. But uh, for, for right now, I mean, just I don't know what they can do. Yeah, they're in a bind there on that one. Do you think uh, Bonds and Clemens? You think they're done now? Do you think they're gonna make a comeback, or do you think they're all done? Oh, I, I, I cannot possibly imagine Roger Clemens taking to the field. Who's gonna want to take Roger Clemens at this point? 
And Barry Bonds, uh, it's not only just taking them on, on public relations grounds, but financially. I, there aren't that many teams that could afford a guy like Barry Bonds. Yeah. Um, who really can't play defense at this point in his career. So, uh, I mean, you can't put this guy in the outfield. I, I'm sorry, he just can't, he can't play. Um, and he can't, he doesn't seem to be able to play first base, so he's got to go to an American League team as a DH if you, if you sign him. He's going to want 15, 20 million, I assume. And who's going to be able to pay that? Uh, well, there's only a few teams, maybe Boston, maybe the Yankees, um, a couple of other teams out there. Um, so it's, and it's the same with Clemens. Um, you've got a very expensive player. Um, and you have to wonder about the value you're going to get in return now at the age that they're at. So I, I would think that they're done. Piggybacking on to that question now, the Hall of Fame, do you think uh, we've already seen sort of the backlash with Mark McGuire and, and you know, it'll be interesting to see yeah, what happens with yeah. Palmero and stuff. Uh, what about these two guys? How do you think they're going to fare when, when the ballot comes around with their names on it for the Hall of Fame? I think for right now, there's no way. I don't see either going in. It's an amazing thing to say this. I mean, think about it. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were both, forget steroids, the best players, uh, Bonds is the best position player of the 1990s, absolutely no question about it. No question about it. Um, and Roger Clemens, if you take the period, say, from 1985 to 1995, and he was absolutely not juicing during any of that, was Major League Baseball's best pitcher. And these, both of these guys, um, yeah, they're not going to be in the Hall of Fame because of uh, how screwed up our society is. I mean, really, that's what it is. American society has gotten to be so screwed up. It's a whole sports ethos is so completely whacked, as uh, my son's friends now say, <laughs> that uh, I'm learning the lingo. My son is 11. He's almost 12. And anyway, it's whack, man. <laughs> it's whack. <laughs> Not whacked. There's no ED at the end. It's just whack. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, these guys are going to pay the price um, because they're, Competing. The only thing that might change it, uh, because social attitudes do change, and uh, I imagine that by the time they're getting old and decrepit, they, there may be a kind of reaction against the idiocy of our current era. Because really, if I were voting, I would vote both of them in, because they both deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Uh, and I have no problem saying that. And the other, Palmero, in my opinion, I would not vote in. Because in my opinion, Rafael Palmero was not a great player until he started juicing. It was very obvious with him. Uh, not so with Bonds and Clemens. They're just, they were both, both just great. And so, I mean, we're not voting in Hall of Famers on the basis of how, uh, you know, what a nice citizen they are. Yeah. We're voting them in because they were they were great at what they did, I assume. Looking at this year's playoffs now, it's time for the predictions part of the program here. Oh, We're predictions from everybody, so uh, we'll see how you fare, and, and I'll be posting all the predictions at, at the uh, after I air the episode. So let's I'll run down the categories here. It's just the you know the divisions and the and the league championships and the World Series championships. So I'll I'll start here with the American League East. Uh, I predict Yankees over Red Sox. Yankees first, Red Sox second place. Okay, American League Central. Oh, uh, God. Oh. <laughs> uh, Jesus, man. I'm trying to think. I'll say Minnesota because I always like them. 
Wow, all right. I'm a perennial Minnesota Twins fan. Okay. Believe it or not, they're my central team out there. They seem to keep selling off all their <laughs> Yeah, but they're they're put together well. They've got good they've got good leadership out there. The twins always find a way to surprise, so I'm just gonna go out on a limb there and, and go for the twins. All right, sounds good. How about the American League West? Uh it's gotta be it's gotta be the Angels. I have to say Los Angeles Angels. All right. And the wild and card. Boston. All right. Sounds good. So no no playoff hopes here for uh, Detroit or Cleveland. That's surprising, but Well Detroit Detroit needs pitching. Yeah. In my opinion. Detroit's got a great looking offense and um they could they could be surprising. But I'm gonna say Angels, Twins, Yankees, Red Sox. And realistically I could see the Red Sox in first place, but I can't I just can't in good conscience do that. <laughs> you have to understand. There you go. That's fine. I'm going with the Yankees over the Sox. I'll have the same argument when I do my picks. <laughs> um, right. All, all right. Now the uh, the National League, National League East. What do you think? I'm going with Mets. Okay. I I think that the Mets are uh, they have been ready for a number of years. They look good. Um, the Phillies also, at least they were good pretty pretty good last year. But I like the Mets, and uh, I think they're going to go in. Maybe the Braves will surprise, but New York Mets in the East. All right, uh, National League Central. Uh, who cares? <laughs> I'll say the Cubs. Cubbies. Okay. <laughs> the, yeah, the National League Sellers, they like to call it. <laughs> uh, and uh, the the hotly contested National League West. Uh, I'm going to hope and maybe think that uh, the Dodgers might go in. Okay. And uh, and the wild card for the National League. <sighs> I'm not that good at this, Tim. I'm going to say Padres. <laughs> Padres? Padres? Yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. Take, take it back. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Phillies. Wow. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, Phillies. And uh, who will be facing off in the World Series, the American League and the National League champions? Who do you see? Yanks, baby. Yankees, led by the young stud, Philip Hughes, who's going to pitch the first game of the World Series. And it's going to be against the Mets. We're going to have a Subway Series in New York. In 2008, you heard it here first. Wow, awesome, awesome, good stuff. And who's going to win in six games? And the who is that? Yankees will win. So of you, course, you're picking the Yankees to win the World Series. They're going to beat the Mets in six games this year in the World Series. All right, sounds good. There you go. Those are the predictions. <laughs> <laughs> the pained predictions from Richard Dolan. <laughs> I'm going to have to keep all those sighs in the <laughs> in the broadcast. I, I'm going to be afraid to hear this in October. <laughs> from the people and see how it shakes out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's pretty much it for the baseball talk. Uh, what do you have coming up? Anything you want to plug? Any appearances or, you know, any any good stuff that you want to talk about? That yeah, well, um, I've actually, um, you know, if I can go b slip into the UFO mode again, mm -hmm. I've been, as I said, working very hard at my next book. I'm doing a um, presentation at the uh, X conference uh, run by Stephen Bassett, which will be in the Gaithersburg, Maryland, Hilton, mm -hmm. not too far from Washington, D.C., and I have reason to think that, that can be a very interesting conference. He's got some um, insiders, government insiders, who members of the so-called aviary are going to be speaking there. Uh, I'll be talking about um, a variation of exopolitics in a new key, as I think what I'm going to probably call it. Um, I'm not someone who's really done a lot of talk about so-called exopolitics. I've, I've 
really held it at arm's length for many, many years. But I've been thinking about um, the implications of dealing with, let's say, them, if there are others on, on this world who are hanging out here, and I believe that that is the case. Uh, what does it mean for us as a society um, to be dealing with them in an open way if that ever happens? And I have a feeling the reason that I'm a little more distant from a lot of the people who talk about exopolitics is that I, I have a very different perspective, I think, on what that means. And so I think I'll be talking about that next month in Gaithersburg. Uh, in short, I don't have a particularly optimistic opinion about our ability to deal with um, the reality of non-humans on this planet. I think that we're um, not really ready to do so. <laughs> that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to disclose the truth, because I'm, I'm a, a believer until the day I die in the, the value of truth uh, over falsehood. But we are we're dealing with a very um, one thing that I've, I've you know has occurred to me when I deal with when I think about the interaction of human beings with this very bizarre reality of of um, non-human intelligence here is that we don't deal with them on terms of equality in any way. And so, if we're going to try to establish relations, as some people in the exopolitics can't want to do. It's not clear to me how we're going to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I've got a few other conferences that are, are scheduled. I'll be speaking in McMinnville, Oregon uh, in May. Um, this is all on my website at keyholepublishing.com. There you go. You can just go check that out. And then I'll be in uh, San Jose at the Conspiracy Conference in June. I'll be talking, I'll be comparing UFO conspiracy theories with 9 11 conspiracy theories. Um, there aren't that many UFO researchers who deal with 9-11, and there are absolutely no 9-11 researchers, maybe other than Jim Mars, who deals with UFOs. Yeah. And I'm interested in both of those, and I'll be talking at those at, at, uh, in San Jose. I'll be in Roswell um, in July for the uh, annual summer conference they have there, and uh, there may be a couple of other places. Awesome. And people can find all those dates and stuff and the information at keyholepublishing.com. That's your website. That, that's great. That's my website. Uh, so go check it out. I haven't been updating this website with new writing by myself for, for a long time. And, and for anyone who's been – a few people mention this to me from time to time. And all I can say is, look, I'm sorry. I'm just uh, – I'm trying to finish my book. I don't really want to do articles or blogs or anything like that. There's a lot of things that I have opinions on that I'd be happy to chat about. But um, all of that takes time away from my book. I want to get that done. Exactly, yeah. And everyone's pressuring you to finish the book, so I can imagine that you just want to hurry up and, and finish it up now at this point. That is all I want to do. Yeah. Um, well, Rich, thank you very much for coming on the show for the baseball special. I really appreciate it. Um, hopefully we can have you back here later on in the spring to do a esoteric discussion on UFOs, 9-11, and all that good stuff. Sounds like you to. have some great opinions, and I definitely want to talk to you again soon, have you back on the show. So I would we'll, be very interested to do that, Tim, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. So we'll have to set something like that up in a, in a few weeks. But like I said, thank you very much for coming on the baseball special. I really appreciated it, and I'm sure uh, the baseball fans and the listening audience are going to enjoy your opinions on all, all things baseball. So thank you again for coming back. My pleasure. I bet you'll have a lot of interested people wanting to hear baseball opinions by, by we, UFO geeks like us. <laughs> You're listening to Banal of America Audio.
move on now to our next guest here on the BOA Audio Baseball Special. He's batting cleanup here, and that's a good spot for him because he's a power hitter. He's the author of the outstanding book, The Prankster and the Conspiracy, and also The Beast of Adam Go Rightly, uh, which is a compiling of his best of writings. He's also the host of the Untamed Dimensions podcast program. He's prolific. He's uh, He's been on BOA Audio several times now. He was on uh, in season one for uh, just a standard interview, and he was on last year's baseball special, and he's back here this year for the baseball special. He is the crackpot historian himself, Adam Gorightly. Adam, welcome back to the show. Jimmy, thanks for having me. It's good to have you back. What have you been up to in the last year since the last time we talked to you? What's been going on for Go Rightly between uh, between baseball opening days? Well, uh, several different writing projects. I'm about done with a book on James Shelby Downard I might have mentioned to you years ago. I've been working on it for a few years now. He, of course, was a famous conspiracy theorist and author of the King Kill 33 theory, which presented you know, this theory that the JFK assassination was part of a dastardly uh, Freemasonic conspiracy orchestrated on the 33 or the 33rd latitude. Oh, wow. When's that coming out? Pretty soon. It's basically done. I'm uh, working with a fellow. He's going to write a foreword. The uh, artwork is done for it. I'm kind of uh, shopping it around through to a few publishers, but if that doesn't pan out, I'll publish it myself. So hopefully in a few months. We'll see. It'll That's... get pub- published one way or another. Yeah, that sounds awesome because I read uh, the Michael Hoffman book, and yeah, he had a chapter in there on that 33 King Kill theory, which and well, it always resonated with me. I wanted to know more about it. So basically, Shell or Downard and Hoff, Hoffman were uh, co-authors of that work, King Kill 33. Is Downard still around, or did he die? No, he died about 10 years ago, and that was one of the interesting parts of the research. Uh, for many years, I really doubted that he actually existed. Really? And the deeper I looked into it. Uh, the more I started, the more I began, to, I doubted even more and more that he ever actually existed. But then uh, I finally uh, chased some leads down and discovered that he did exist. Uh, popular rumor for years was that he was a kind of a composite creation by several diff- different authors like Hoffman and William Grimstead and Adam Parfrey. I think I'd almost convinced myself that that was the case, but then... You know, I got towards the end of the book, and I uh, told myself, I, you got to really find out for sure, you know, if he <laughs> did or <laughs> didn't exist. And I was ready even to take a, a trip out to uh, Memphis to uh, look around, but then uh, yeah, I was able to get enough information to convince me that he uh, was actually a living, breathing human being, quite a fascinating character. So was the book on him or, or the King Kill Theory, or just the whole, like, the, or is it kind of like the Prankster and Conspiracy book where it's like kind of like both? It's kind of uh, a little bit of uh, both. There is biographical background, but, uh, you know, I could only find so much about him through different – because he, in a sense, was kind of reclusive. He traveled around the country in an Airstream trailer looking, going to paranormal sites and all this type of stuff. And he had a few friends here and a few friends there. And I interviewed like Hoffman and William Grimstead and other people he knew. So, you know, there is some biographical material and stuff that also comes from his books about his early youth growing up as a uh, 
patsy of Freemasonry, as he described himself. And then I basically take a lot of his theories and run with them, you know? Yeah. Just to compare them with uh, things going on today, like uh, 9-11. So that's kind of the take on the book. And it's a rather, uh, it'll be a slim volume, maybe, I think it weighs out around uh, oh, 30,000 words or so. Nice, nice. We got to keep me in the loop on that because I'm, oh, yeah. I'm fascinated by the Ken Kill theory, and I definitely want to have you on the show when the book comes out. I'll get you a copy. Then I want to mention I'm also doing an updated version of my book on the Manson family. Nice, nice. Which I hope to, well, it damn well better be available by uh, next year, 2009. That's the 40th anniversary. So I want to uh, roll it out for that and sell some more copies. It, this will have some new information, and it'll be a little uh, leaner and meaner than the uh, first uh, edition, uh, just because that was such a big book, 600 pages, and ended up costing quite a bit. So I'm going to trim it down, make it lean and mean, and throw a few new things in there. So that's coming up then. Nice, nice. On my, on my doorstep today, I got the new edition of Paranoia Magazine which uh, I have an article in co-written with my friend Douglas Haas entitled The Tuesday Weld Psychedelic Illuminati Conspiracy. Wild. Yeah, I know. We talked about the Tuesday yeah. Weld story before. It's really a weird one. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, you know, there's been a lot going on here in the baseball off season. Is there anything that really stood out to you that we should dive into first? Anything that really uh, piqued your interest? I know you uh, have sort of an askew view of the world, so maybe something <laughs> I hadn't even thought of yet. Oh, it's just been a mess with all this, uh, the Roger Clemens circus and, you know, <laughs> and the Barry Bonds, uh, stuff. That's been most interesting for me during the off season. As far as my team, the Giants, they, they're looking pretty uh, pathetic. They really haven't done much to improve their lot here in the last few years. They kind of mortgaged their future, uh, banking on Barry Bonds to, you know, win a World Series, and that uh, never happened, so uh, the organization itself is kind of in shambles. I was reading somewhere there's some baseball insiders or experts. They rated all the uh, teams in the uh, major leagues, you know, looking at uh, the whole organization from their farm clubs up to the big team, and uh, they a lot of these experts place the Giants as the worst uh, organization in baseball. Oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> wow, even worse than the Florida teams? <laughs> yeah, so we can only go up. There you go. How did things get so bad for them? Because, you know, you'd think, I just don't understand, like, how some of these teams can go so far off the rails, but they well, just invest they did, all the money in bonds? They did. They uh, were going for the uh, short term, so they traded you know, a lot of their up-and-coming young players to bring in veterans to surround Bonds, you know, and that worked when they made the World Series. And a couple of years after that, they had some good teams, but then they hit a point of diminishing uh, returns, and they uh, ended up with a bunch of uh, quite a few, uh, you know, veterans with not a lot left in the uh, tank. And, you know, towards the end, Bonds didn't have that much either, you know. Yeah, and it seemed like the Barry Zito signing, he was signed for quite a lot of money, and I don't know uh, how well he really uh, fared last year for the Giants. He had a pretty uh, lackluster season. <laughs> he, he was around uh, 
all 500, I think, uh, and winds maybe less. Uh, and this year he started off uh, slow, I believe, uh, you know, with uh, some of the spring training games. So he hasn't fared too well yet, you know. Yeah, and that's, that's surprising considering he moved from the American League to the National League. You think you'd do a yeah. lot better. Um, and but uh, the the bright the bright spots they have the few bright spots are some very good young uh, pitching. Uh, Matt Kane, he's an up and comer, and I see him like a future Nolan Ryan or Roger Clemens. He's uh, his record that year last year wasn't that great, but he didn't get a lot of uh, run support. They got another guy named Lipsicum, Tim Lipsicum. Oh yeah. He's, he's a good young pitcher, so if they could get some decent position players, but right now they have, you know, their roster, they really have no um, power hitting, and they have a bunch of old vets that were good five or six years ago, like Rich Aurelia and Ray Durham, and, you know, Omar Mascal is still fun to watch, but, yeah, he's no... Uh, Spring chicken. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. From what I kind of saw on the on the Bonds coverage, it sounds like San Francisco is like the bizarro world where, like everywhere else he goes, he's pretty hated, but there uh, they still like him a lot. Was was that the was that sort of the mood there this season, this past season when he was chasing the record? Yeah, but then once I think the uh, got the record, then people started care less about him, and <laughs> he, he was surprised that they didn't bring him back for another season, but, you know, the, the, the last season where he broke the record, that was the only reason they brought him back was to fill the seats, you know, because they knew they would with him chasing and breaking that record. Yeah. Now, did you get a chance to go to any of those games? No. I, you know, I haven't even been to their new stadium, which they've had for several years now. I used to go to a lot of the uh, candlestick games, so I must admit I haven't. Uh, the most recent games, I go out uh, to uh, see the Dodgers play now and then when Greg Bishop will invite me. So, yeah, I got, I got, I hear the, what I've seen of the new park there in San Francisco, it's wonderful. Just haven't made it yet. What did you think of the whole of the whole Mitchell report and everything in the Clemens Circus? You kind of alluded to it already, but <laughs> what did you think of all that? Pretty comical. Uh, Clemens made himself look like an ass. I I don't know what he was expecting. He was going to get out of that. You know, it's uh, it's just a head uh, scratcher. But it was comical. He was parading the flag around and saying, "I, you know." Uh, pitched for the USA team and, uh, you know, I'm a great hero and all this, and here you are dragging me through the mud, and I'm deep butt. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of <laughs> weird. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's, it'll all uh, blow away, you know, and uh, we'll move on with things, and it was just a period where, you know, in baseball where that was going on, and it wasn't just uh, Bonds and Clemens, and of course Clemens, uh, now Bonds looks a hell of a lot better after Clemens made such a of an ass of himself, but you know it was pretty widespread and prevalent. <laughs> is what it is that you know they uh, people that's turned their heads from the, the uh, you know management of baseball commissioners, whatever. There was some years where they were making a lot of money, and you know the long ball was going on, and uh, you know now it's come back to roost. Now, were you always a Giants fan? Did you grow up in the area and that kind of thing and, and became mm -hmm. a fan that way? Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. I'm in Central California, so, yeah, Giants fan and uh, the Niners and uh, actually uh, 
big NBA fan, more of a Lakers fan, but I go see uh, Golden State Warriors games uh, now and then. So, yeah, that's a big sports fan. Now, uh, I remember last year, I don't know if I asked you this last year or not, but I know uh, Bishop had a had a sort of a National League, American League bias where he was anti-DH and all that stuff. Do you How do you feel about that sort of thing where the comparison it seems like the National League doesn't get as much respect as the American League because, uh, you know, I don't know why exactly. Maybe because the scores are lower or something. I'm not sure. You know, I don't mind the DH. It's been around for so long now. You get uh, used to these things when they start bringing in new rules and stuff. A lot of the uh, traditionalists get a little upset, but uh, I was watching baseball as a lad, and it was back in the early 70s with the Oakland A's, mm-hmm. and uh, they're, they were real innovative, and it, it kind of came out of that period with uh, Charlie Finley, That's, you know, uh, when they started, uh, he was the first uh, really owner that allowed his uh, players to wear long hair, and they had these colorful uniforms, I think they even tried these bright orange uh, baseballs, and, you know, they were one of the first uh, teams really that started having the night games. So, that, you know, that kind of innovation came out of that uh, period. So I grew up with it, and I, I like the uh, designated hitter. It helps uh, different players extend their careers. Who knows? It might help Bonds extend his career. You never know. Do you think he'll end up playing again, or do you think he's all done? Well, in fact, that was going to be my first prediction this year is that Barry Bonds will, mark my words, will make a comeback midseason. He'll sign with the New York Mets, but then uh, shortly afterwards, his head will explode on national television due to his continued uh, use of performance-enhancing drugs. Wow, that's a bold prediction. I like it, though. I have another prediction. Let's hear it. I predict that Sean David Morton will actually make a prediction this this year that comes true. <laughs> but not only that, yeah. this will be the year of UFO disclosure. Oh, wow, okay. But but when it happens, nobody will care, except for the 200 or so uh, saucer buffs that go to all these UFO conventions. (laughs) Well, everybody (laughs) else do. They they don't care. It's, you know, a big deal. There's there's other things. We got the economy, all these foreclosures to worry about, you know. What can can the uh, UFO knots do for us? <laughs> oh man! Now, do you have any sort of like rival teams? I, I know the Giants kind of have a rivalry with the A's, but do you? Uh, and I know, of course, with the Bishop thing. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's less now with free agencies because the players move back and forth, and on the you know Giants, you have a bunch of ex-Dodgers and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, so there's less of it. Uh, I remember I really hated the frickin' Dodgers. Especially it was like the 19, uh, when was that? Early 90s, Bonds had first come to the team. And the uh, Giants had a great season that year. They won 100 games. Mm-hmm. And it came down to the last uh, day of the season, and they needed to, to win the game. And they were playing the Dodgers. And the Dodgers, you know, it went uh, – Right to the end of the game, the last hit, and the Dodgers won, and Tommy Lasorda, that fat little fuck, was running around, jumping up and down, and I despised him ever since. So I have a hatred for the uh, Dodgers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it's harder to, uh, you know, keep that going these days with all the uh, free agency, you know. It's like uh, 
Uh, you see it going on with the uh, Red Sox and Yankees, you know. Uh, I can't, who, the center fielder there from the Red Sox went to the Yankees. I forget his name. Johnny now. Damon? Yeah, so it's it's not like it used to be, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was reading an interview with uh, Bob Dylan, actually, and they asked him something like that uh, about who his favorite baseball player was. He's a big baseball fan, too, and he was saying the same thing you are pretty much about free agency, and he said – you know, nowadays you're really just cheering for the uniform. Right. That's about the yeah. only thing that doesn't change. Where in the past you had players, you know, they'd spend, damn, their whole career on the same team. You very rarely see that anymore, you know. Yeah, that's one of the really hard parts about baseball and all sports, really, because, uh, you know, you get attached to a guy and then their contract comes up and they leave. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's disappointing. Yeah. So you're not really a big Dodgers fan. So how do you feel about Joe Torre coming out there to, to be the new coach? Actually, that's pretty cool, you know. I'm glad uh, Tory ended up uh, somewhere. I thought he was a really classy dude, and he'll probably do well with them. I, you know, the Dodgers look pretty good going into this season. I hate to say, so it's hard for me not to root for Joe Tory, you know, especially all he's gone through working for that asshole. Uh, you know, the Steinbrenner and overcoming cancer and all these things. He's always been a class dude, you know. Yeah. Win, lose or draw. Yeah, he was one of the few guys on the Yankees, uh, in the that Yankees could, organization. That, that you could stomach? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mind that much. Yeah. The rest of them I could give or take pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see. What else uh, What else could I ask you about here that uh, – you want me to give my predictions for this year? Yeah, let's just uh, – we'll dive into the predictions. So we uh, – let me uh, let me get down the list here. Well, for you, since your National League will start in the National League. So. Well, let me say, first of all, I gave this a, a lot of thought about these uh, predictions, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, why don't we start with the National League West, and I'll tell you how I came up with my predictions. You know, I started thinking about the uh, Giants, you know, and how they're going to stink again this year. Yeah. And, you know, I... So the Dodgers are looking like the team, one of the teams to beat, you know, in the National League uh, West. But I, you know, it's against my nature to uh, root for the Dodgers in any shape or uh, form, you know, because I hate them and all they stand for was the, like we talked before, the mind control stuff mm-hmm. last year and that Greg Bishop's involved in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, anyway, I was thinking about these predictions. It seems I never do worth a crap when I try to predict who will win. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I might as well go with the Giants because that's the logic, logical choice not to go with. Because you know, I, I'm going to pull a George Costanza. You ever see that episode of Seinfeld <laughs> where he did the opposite? Yeah, yeah. There you remember go. that? Because uh-huh. he, he he did the opposite of what he would normally do because nothing ever worked out right for him anyway. So you know, why not do the total opposite? Like when ordering food, instead of a hamburger, get a salad, and <laughs> or instead of beer, get wine, see how it comes out. So that's going to be my approach here. Pick the team least likely to succeed, and then, uh, you know, see if I do better than the other uh, UFO wackos you've had on predicting who will be the winners <laughs> and losers this year. So Sounds anyway, good. in the NL West, uh, we'll go with the uh, Giants, and then you uh, let's go with um, – the National League uh, East, um, I have to go with the uh, Florida Marlins. So pencil those in. All right. Pencil them in. In the Central, let's go uh, Pittsburgh Pirates were in the hole last year. They had the uh, worst record in the Central, so we'll go with them. So I have uh, 
in the uh, National League, San Francisco in the West, uh, the Pirates in the Central Division, and Florida in the East. All right, now what about the wild card? Oh, shit, I forgot about that. Let's uh, uh, let's go with the... Uh, uh, the Washington. What do they what do they call themselves? Not the Senators. The Nationals. The Nationals. We'll go with the Washington Nationals in the wild card. Wow. So it's like a whole black sheep contingent here mm -hmm. of of teams. I like it. I like you, it. You watch, watch this. One of these teams is going to come out of there, and we'll go. Man, that go rightly. He's a genius. Yeah. All right. Now the American League. American League East. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles. All right. There you go. Fuck Boston and New York. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Central, uh, Minnesota was kind of in the middle of the pack. I have a feeling about them. We'll go with the Minnesota Twins. They they actually were around 500 last year. So, uh, and then uh, in uh, what do we look in the American League West? Texas Rangers. Wow. All right. That's bold. Okay. And then the wild card. Let's uh, go with. Toronto. All right, nice. Okay. You may sneak that one in, though, <laughs> the Toronto. That one may turn out to be uh, the correct prediction. They're a pretty good team. Mm -hmm. And so who do you see facing off for the uh, for the championship here, the American League versus National League? Who, who's going to win their respective uh, league championships? Um, in the World Series, we'll have the Texas Rangers against the uh, San Francisco Giants, and the Giants will prevail. Nice. Okay. Seven-game seven series. I hope so. That would be nice. Too many sweeps nowadays. Have you noticed that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Way too many sweeps. I, last year's postseason, I saw like maybe well, one series go to seven. That was the uh, the Red Sox Cleveland one, which is disappointing because yeah. you, you know you want to enjoy the playoff games and you know you only get four of them. Somehow you only get three for the for the uh, for the first round. So you know you miss one or two of them. Next thing you know, you, you miss the whole Cubs playoff yeah. run. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look at it, uh, who, who was predicting Colorado to be in the World Series last year, or in the, uh, actually, in the uh, division championships? Nobody. Or did they make the World Series? They did they make the World Series, yeah. yeah. They got swept in four, right? Yeah. Who the hell were predicting them? They just got on a roll, so. Exactly. So there's a chance here for the Giants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, you are uh, already talking about your hatred for Tommy Lasorda. Did you manage to see that he... Uh, he got to manage a game here in the uh, in the springtime recently. Yeah, I heard a bit about that, and they had uh, a lot of big uh, fanfare for him. And I guess they uh, crossed their bats, and he ran across uh, from third to home plate. Uh, I guess what what the uh, they split squads, and one was playing in Japan or something. So yeah, he, China uh, or something like that. Yeah. Now, was that crossed bats, some kind of uh, symbolic occult reference, you think? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> We've talked about this before. He's deep into all that mind control, uh, Illuminati, you know, One World Order, L.A. Dodgers stuff. That might explain how they got Joe Torre then. Mm -hmm. Some kind of uh, power, power brokering going on yeah, there. Yeah, exactly what's going on with him. What do you have coming up down the line? I know you're uh, intimately involved here with the UFO Retro, so the UFO RetroCon. Uh, talk a little bit about that and, and what else you have coming up, you know, that you want to mention, maybe other speaking engagements, stuff like that, uh, that people should be made aware of. Yeah, that's the main thing coming up. Retro UFO, uh, April 26th and 27th in Landers, California, at the World Famous Integratron. And, uh, yeah, you can join myself and uh, a whole bunch of cool people. 
Uh, Greg Bishop will be there, Barbara Lamb, Nick Redfern, uh, Ralph Ring, Chica Bruce, uh, Paul Kimball, Guy Malone, the list goes on and on, Ken, Ken Thomas, even Zamora the Torture King, to name but a few, in what has been billed as not your typical UFO convention. And, uh, yeah, people can go to RetroUFO.com. Originally, uh, I was slated to speak there, and uh, I've been helping organize, bring in uh, some of the speakers for this event, and we really ended up overbooking, you know, so I kind of pulled myself out as far as speaking, but I will be uh, actually uh, performing some music there with my friend uh, Joe Hook, and uh, we have a about uh, six, seven songs we're going to play, various wacky UFO songs, and I'm going to bust out the uh, theremin. And uh, for this gig, we've uh, actually uh, formed a band, and we're calling ourselves Good News for Modern Man. Nice, nice. I didn't know you uh, were a musician. What do you play? Mm -hmm. I play keyboards. Nice. And, uh, yeah, there'll, there'll be some uh, cool stuff going on uh, it, uh, of course, if your listeners don't know the uh, background, uh, it's at uh, the Integratron, which, uh, well, they could go to the Integratron.com and find out more about that uh, freaky uh, structure. But, uh, you know, the, the whole idea behind this conference retro is kind of uh, looking back at some of the great conferences they had out there at Giant Rock, which is a couple miles from the Integratron, back in the uh, early 50s through the uh, 70s uh, when George Van Tassel, who channeled some aliens, and uh, that's why he built the Integratron as a sort of uh, alien rejuvenation uh, chamber, and um, part of that, to help fund his various projects, he started having these uh, UFO conferences back in the day, and he'd have all those legendary contactees, George Adamski and George Hunt Williamson and on and on, showing up at these, uh, they call them the uh, spacecraft conventions uh, and uh, giant rock spacecraft conventions. And at the height of that, you know, you get uh, 5,000 to 7,000 people out at these things, wow. which is mind-blowing, you know, think of a regular UFO uh, convention today, you know, get a couple hundred people, you're happy. Yeah, yeah. And this, this is out in the middle of the desert, so there's not a lot of creature comforts out there. Yeah, wow, so you guys are kind of like carrying on the tradition here, reviving the Integratron as a, as a conference location, huh? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there'll be, uh, there's not an organized trip out to Giant Rock, but, uh, you know, the way we're setting it up, basically, we'll have Robert Short, who's one of the old school contactees, he's going to be going out at a certain time, so if you want to meet Bob out there, uh, carpool, and he'll show you around uh, Giant Rock, and then the, the uh, main speakers and different uh, performers that, that'll all be going on there at the Integratron. Before we wrap it up, talk about your your uh, your podcast, because I think uh, it just started, you know, within the last year or so. I don't even remember if you had it up and running uh, last time you were on the show. So uh, tell people about the podcast and, and where they can find out about that and stuff and listen to it. Let me think. I started it November of 2006. Oh wow, yeah. So, yeah, so about six months before you came on last time for the baseball show. Yeah, and um, I've probably done about forty or fifty episodes. 
I was amazed the other day. I was going back and, you know, looking at all the interviews I've done, quite a few now. Um, the original intent when I started doing that was uh, basically to interview a lot of people I always wanted to talk to about strange experiences they've had, whether UFO sightings, paranormal stuff, and basically create a forum where I could interview a lot of people that I'd always wanted to interview and use a lot of this material for a book. Mm -hmm. And I still plan to do that, and I'd probably call it Untamed Dimensions, and it'd be a, some of my own personal experiences and the experiences of these folks, you know. Yeah. And so that was kind of the main intent. Uh, somewhere along the line, occasionally, I think I lost focus of that, and <laughs> which is okay. And, you know, I'd have different people approaching me to be on the show. So, you know, I started... Uh, interviewing uh, people that might not necessarily fit the M.O. of someone I wanted to interview I knew that had strange experiences, but, you know, that's okay. So, um, and, you know, I had a lot of uh, interesting folks recently. I was another one of those uh, people. I, I got sent a book uh, by some PR group that representing the, you know, the astronaut Edgar Mitchell, they did a reissue of his book, The Way of the Explorer. Mm -hmm. You know, so I replied back, hey, I'd love to have him as a guest on my uh, show. And what do you know? Interviewing a ex-astronaut, which wow. was pretty cool. That's cool. That, that was a recent one. So and then I've explored uh, you know, a lot of strange areas. It's like this whole Tuesday Weld Illuminati conspiracy. Mm-hmm. That turned into a multi-part <laughs> show interviewing the characters, and I do mean characters who, uh, you know, are promulgating these uh, theories. And uh, so, yeah, it's been a uh, wild ride, and I kind of look at it as a, uh, you know, uh, education learning experience. Nice. And I, I don't know how long I uh, intend to continue doing it. We'll see. Uh, one thing I get a lot of comments about the uh, audio quality of the show. I get a lot of positive stuff about great guests and all this type of stuff, but the audio quality isn't the greatest. So I think at some point here in the near future, I will probably take a break. It might be an extended one and kind of regroup and uh, get it set up so, um, you know, it, it's uh, – the show has better audio quality and these type of things. I found also that uh, it kind of uh, has taken away from my writing. Yeah. Because <laughs> it does t take time. It's not okay. Uh, you just do an interview and it's an hour out of maybe once a week. You know, there's the prep that goes with it. I'm sure you're aware of mm -hmm. all of this, the scheduling of the thing. All these, th the editing afterwards, you know, all of these things take time, which take time away from other things. And maybe I don't want to spend as much time, you know, doing the uh, web radio show as I should be doing whatever, writing, playing music. It's all, you know. Yep, yep. I know exactly choices, what you're talking about. 
choices you make. Yep, yep. But that, that, I've enjoyed it. It's been a hell of a lot of fun. Well, Adam, I, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show for uh, for the baseball special. I really appreciate it. I think uh, I'll probably look at the <laughs> the actual content. Maybe we talk more about paranormal than baseball, but that's fine because <laughs> we, we need to pump up the paranormal content a little bit. Right on, and we'll have you on my show here sometime in the near future, right? Yeah, that would be great. I'd love to do it. It would be okay. a, a lot of fun. And um, keep me, keep me, like I said, keep me in the loop on both those books because I've become really fascinated with the Manson family lately, and mm-hmm. I've been looking for a good book on the Manson family. I didn't have a copy of your book, so, um, but I guess I'll wait till the new reissue comes out. Otherwise, I would be, you know, I'd be behind the curve. So, hey, I'll get, I'll get you a copy of both. Nice, nice, and uh, we'll definitely do an interview on that because I've, I've been really fascinated with the Manson story for quite a while now and I've wanted to delve into it so um, and, and a lot of people want to, uh, to hear you back on Banal of America they want I've got a lot of requests to get you back on the show so it's only a matter of time before we reconnect again for another esoteric discussion right on you're listening to Banal of America audio We're here now with our fifth batter in the all-star lineup of the BOA Audio Baseball Special. Uh, he was on just a few short weeks ago, really, the beginning of February. So uh, it's exciting to bring him back, and, and we, were, we came right down to the wire here. But we have so much to talk about. His team's seen a real resurgence in the last year, and I'm really excited to hear what he has to say about that. He is, of course, one half of the tremendously awesome UFO Mystic website. One of the best websites out there. Go there for your UFO news. It's updated pretty much every day, I believe, at least once a day. Uh, has the best UFO news out there. It's where I go to get my UFO news. It's UFO Mystic. And, of course, he's the author of the tremendous book, Project Beta, which uh, we talked about at length quite a while ago. And maybe someday we'll, we'll rehash the whole Project Beta story because I kind of interviewed him back when I was just a scrappy young lad. And, and uh, I, I probably can bring some new questions to the table on Project Beta. Irregardless of all that, our guest here is, of course, the esteemed Greg Bishop. Greg, welcome back to the show. Oh, I'm esteemed. Thanks. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> and I should point out that earlier in the show, Paul Kimmel called you one of the nicest, the nicest person he's met in the UFO world. I don't know if I like that, but, you know. It, <laughs> I guess we'll pass that along to Kimmel. Uh, <laughs> no, you know what? He stayed here for uh, about a week and a half. And uh, we had a lot of fun. It's unfortunate it wasn't during the baseball season. So he'll be out here for the retro conference about a week after that. I think the the uh, there will be some Dodger games, and we're going to go. Nice, nice. I'm jealous. I'm jealous already. Um, <laughs> we kind of scratched the surface on it at the end of the last interview, and I was kind of chomping at the bit to ask you. And now that we're here at the second annual baseball special, we can dig in to the big, big off season for your L.A. Dodgers. It must be exciting for you because you've been supporting this team through thick and thin for quite a while now, and all of a sudden they're the hot team now going into 2008. They're one of the hot teams. So uh, I guess talk a little bit about, uh, you know, Joe Torre coming to the Dodgers and, of course, the Andrew Jones signing as well kind of fall under the radar. But those two big changes for the Dodgers in the offseason and what you're looking forward to here in 08. You know, I did not realize that people thought that the Dodgers were the hot team. Now, people, the fans of the Dodgers, actually they did some sort of survey and um, uh, during one of the spring training games I was watching, uh, this graphic appeared on the screen. How many games do you think the Dodgers should win this year? It was like 60 to 80, and about 20% of the people voted for that. 
you know, 80 to 90, uh, maybe another 30% of people voted for that. No, not even that. Um, but uh, whatever the percentages were, who, the people that expected the Dodgers to win over 93 games or something like that, or 90 games, mm -hmm. was something like 85, uh, it, was, it was a little over 80%. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot of expectation. Um, and I think that's mainly because of what you said, the signings of Joe Torre and, and Andrew Jones. And um, I was looking at the spring training records, which they always say they don't mean anything, you know. Yeah. The Dodgers have one of the worst spring training records this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, it might also... even be worse than, I think it's, it's either the Devil Rays or the Marlins. I and mean, I think it's the Devil Rays have, like, almost the same bad uh, record for this spring. No, I don't, you know, people don't say it means anything, but all the teams that were good last year are still good. The Yankees have a great record, spring training record, the the Sox, of course. Even Chicago has a decent one, the, the Cubs, I mean. Yeah. So, yeah, I have high expectations. I have hopes. I, I'm glad everybody thinks it's um, that's uh, that they're, they're going to do real well. I think so, too. And I think, you know what, it's really weird. My hope is a lot higher than my, my think. <laughs> After being, following this team for, you know, not a whole hell of a long time, maybe 10 or 12 years, I get this fatalism where I, uh, you get to this point where you protect your emotions by saying, ah, well, nothing's going to happen anyway. So that you're surprised and delighted when something does happen and it turns out great. Yeah. Which it does, you know, it does more often than not for the Dodgers. I guess I have to admit it. Although uh, last year they kind of dropped in the second half. They, they had the best record in baseball, I think, up to the break or close to it. And then after that they went to tailspin. And they, or actually in the last month or two they went to tailspin. They ended up they were in first place in the Western Division. They ended up in fourth place. Oh man! <laughs> at the end of the season. Oh, that's heartbreaking. And it was, you know, everybody was talking about the clubhouse atmosphere and all that, and it's always that question of <clears throat> does chemistry beget winning or does winning beget chemistry? It's, it's a chicken and the egg thing. But I, I tend to think that winning begets chemistry. At least get along with everybody. Then when you start winning, yeah, the chemistry comes. Yeah, exactly. It kind of dawned on me, too, the same way with the, the Dodgers becoming the hot team. It seemed like, you know, probably because the Tory signing was so long ago, really, in real time now. Uh -huh. uh, that you know, everyone was sort of excited when it happened. Then there was you know the steroid thing, and everything kind of for everyone kind of forgot that there was going to be another baseball season coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know, I was watching ESPN last night, and uh, Tim Kukurchin, who's pretty much my favorite guy on baseball tonight, he's the most one I respect the most. He picked the Dodgers to win the the NL West. So I was like, you know, this isn't just me and the and and the UFO folks who are on the who are on the baseball special it's it's uh it's kind of sweeping around baseball so it is pretty exciting to see that rejuvenation it reminds me a lot of the cubs last year when Pinella came aboard and people sort of thought they'd turn it around now what what sort of intangible do you think that Tory is going to bring to this team that's going to turn them you know into into a playoff team you know, in one season, because uh, I know you said there was this clubhouse strife, but I sort of only know it uh, from the peripheral end. You probably know it because you're right there in the heart of the city and stuff. Um, but what do you think he's going to bring that's going to turn this team around? You know, about that, that club the clubhouse fighting between the younger, uh, younger, the older players? Yeah. I have a very sneaking suspicion that that was something like, you know, 75, 80% media created. So that's usually the <laughs> That's usually the way it is, too, it seems. Yeah, um, I think that they 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 probably did fall apart over uh, generational or age lines. Yeah. Um, 
but the thing was that I think that um, Grady Little, such an easygoing guy that he probably just kind of let it, whatever happened, happened. He didn't kind of, you know, call everybody in the room and say, look at, look here, dudes. Yeah. You know, like Tommy Lasorda used to, he didn't he'd actually say, look here. If, the people, if somebody, if he thought they were doing badly, he'd tell them in no uncertain terms. And if he thought they were doing great, he'd tell them in no uncertain terms as well. He got, he got, um, he got criticized for running on the field and jumping and screaming when they ran, when they won. Yeah. Which I think is stupid. Not not running on the field, but being criticized for that. Um, you know, whatever you may say about Lasorda, he was good baseball mind, great baseball mind, uh, still is, and um, probably one of the best managers ever. Just because of the way, you know what you know what a manager does? They create chemistry. A good one does. Yeah. Um, through you know just managing personalities. That's why I, never, I don't, you know, I was in management a long time ago, like, you know, when I was just out of college. I was at a job for a year, and they put me in management. And um, after a while, people said that they liked me best as a manager, basically because I stayed out of everybody's way. And uh, when there was a problem, try, tried to get involved and not confrontational with people, unless they were confrontational. And, you know, that's a really small microcosm of what a, a baseball manager has to do. He's taking, you know... Well, at the time of the game, you know, fifteen or twenty egos, and trying to juggle them. Yeah. And um, if you can do that effectively, then then you know it's it's like tuning you know doing little tune-ups on a machine. And I think Tori is, you know, is generally recognized as being a good person at doing that. And that's really what the Dodgers needed at the end of last year. You know, clubhouse chemistry or not, I mean, everything that goes into making a team what it is. You know, the manager is there daily, and he has a he probably has the most important role in doing that. And uh, Tory being there, I think, will help that quite a bit because, you know, he doesn't take any crap from people. Yeah, and what's the pitching situation like for the Dodgers? Are they strong in that department? Yeah, they're looking really strong. I mean, of course, P Brad Penny's coming back, which, you know, unequivocally people say he's probably one of the best pitchers right now. They got Derek Lowe and a, a, a Boston pickup from a few years ago. Oh yeah. You know what? Uh, Vlad Guerrero got a home run off him yesterday in the in in the exhibition game down in Anaheim. <laughs> there was there's a Anaheim game yesterday. Three Boston games. One today at Dodger Stadium. One tonight. One tomorrow at the um, Coliseum, which is something we could talk about. And then on Sunday they're playing them at Dodger Stadium, which I actually have tickets for it, and I wanted to go see them play the play Boston because I haven't seen that since there was an interleague game about, oh, I guess about five years ago out here. What do you think Merritt's discussion on the Coliseum? I see you sound excited about this. Uh, just that they're playing the game there or, or what? Yeah. Well, do you know why they're playing the game there? From it being a big stunt. Uh, no, I'm on the I thought I figured it was just one of those things to, you know, as a creative sort of thing at the end of the between the spring and the and the regular season, you know, like this uh, Japan. Yeah, that's that, that's the, probably the main reason for it. But the it's the 50th year anniversary of the Dodgers coming to L.A. Oh. And um, in uh, 58. And until 1961 or 62 or something like that, they played at the Coliseum, the L.A. Coliseum, where they used to have the, the Rose Bowls till they moved it to the Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. Way, way back when, because it's right next to USC there. They actually took one end of the field and turned it into a baseball <laughs> baseball field, and it's a, it you know it was built for the the Olympics. I yeah. forget when nineteen twenty something Olympics. Weird. So it's a track and field stadium, but they didn't have their stadium finished yet. They were still building Dodger Stadium. So for you know three or four seasons, they played in the 
the L.A. Memorial Coliseum, um, they blocked off, you know, one end of the field. Well, not blocked off, but they, they um, some groundskeepers went out and made it into a baseball field. And the thing seats like a hundred, I don't know, hundred and ten thousand or something. Yeah, it's a pretty massive place. Yeah, I went to a, I think I went to a Rolling Stones concert there once, and it was there was like a, there was over a hundred thousand people there. It was it was frightening. Yeah, wow, that's a little, that that would be pretty weird. So which games are you going to? You're gonna go to that one? No, I couldn't get tickets for it. It sold out in like an hour or two. A <laughs> hundred thousand tickets sold out, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, at least, you know, according to Ticketmaster and the Dodgers and all that, of course, there's a lot of, you know, people are auctioning them on eBay oh, yeah. and Pub and stuff like that. And I, I could have gotten some if I wanted to pay, you know, a couple hundred dollars for a pair of tickets way up in the nosebleeds at the other end of the stadium. Wow, that must that. I hope they televise that game because I bet it's going to be. Well, they're going to televise. Well, I guess MLB TV will. But uh, the local stations here are going to tele are going to televise it. And it's funny because one end of the field and in, in, in the edge of the track was where home plate was. Left field had they had to put up a a fence uh, like the sixty something foot high fence uh, because the thing was only what like uh, two hundred and twenty feet or something from home plate. And the right field went, you know, for a hundred yards. To the right, <laughs> you know, they had these huge crowds. They they did get, you know, eighty, a hundred thousand a couple times for games there. Wow. And um, yeah, it was just a, a a strange, weird, you know, chapter in the in the Dodgers' history, at least as far as where they played. You know, nobody, everybody thinks Dodger Stadium. You know, first it's it's Ebbets Field, then they moved to Dodger Stadium. No, for two or three years they played in the Coliseum. Yeah, that's uh, they kind of. I think they did that sort of thing with the uh, with the Florida team too. They were playing on the where the Dolphins play or something like that for a while, and the uh, and the Washington team too when they first moved to Washington. Were they playing like at a football stadium? Yeah, I think so. And um, for the longest, you know, the the Padres, San Diego, they 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 built their stadium in the in the sixties, I think, late sixties. I can't remember when they turned from a Pacific League team into a major league team. Actually, uh, Ted Williams started out on the San Diego, um, not the Padres. I think were they, yeah, I think they were called the Padres back then, but they were a Pacific League team. But they built that stadium. It was called it was called um, Padres Stadium, I think, and then it was Jack Murphy Stadium, and now it's something else. But sometime in the '80s, they bowled it off, which I thought was a travesty, and they started the Chargers started playing there. Weird. So actually, I went to a couple games there. Um, where you could you could see the yard marking still on the field while it was a baseball field. It was, it was kind of disconcerting. You can't play baseball in a bowl. That's ridiculous. The end should be open. The outfield. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, yeah. You can see the uh, the hash marks and stuff on the when I think the Red Sox played the Florida team a couple of years ago, and you could still see you can see like the lines and stuff on the on the field. It's like yeah. oh, this is get a, get a real field. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a problem getting cities to pay for fields. I know, I know. We were. I think it's a good. I mean, if if the, the city shouldn't have to pay for something if they don't want it there, the people don't want to pay for it. I don't think they, baseball takes precedence over everybody in the entire city that you know may or may not want a team there. You must be excited about Andrew Jones coming to the team. It seems like, like I said, that's kind of fallen under the radar, but I think he's going to have a pretty big year there. Well, I hope he has a big year. He's not playing hurt like he was last year. Yeah, he has. Didn't they sign him to just like a two-year deal or something? He's kind of got something to prove here if he wants to. He thought he was going to be making huge bucks, but, I mean, he's still making he's making more than you and I. I mean, let's be, <laughs> let's be honest. But. He's making more than anybody on the team still. Oh, really? I think he does have the highest um, yearly salary. Yeah, look, here's the starting lineup. Uh, 
14,100,000, Andrew Jones. The second on the list is 13 million, Raphael Fercal. Kent's only making 9 million, poor Jeff Kent. And Nomar, 8.5 million. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of money for Fercal. Uh, I think my brother's a big Fercal fan. He's pretty good, huh? Yeah, he's, he, you know, he's, it, for a shortstop, he's consistently good, and he's, he's an incredible shortstop. I mean, I, I don't know how many gold gloves he's won or if he has, but he should from what I've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah, the gold glove. I, I'm down on the gold glove. It's too – they need, like, some kind of term limits on the gold glove because once one guy gets it, it seems like he never – he never loses it, even though maybe he deserves to win like 30 gold gloves in a row, but it just kind of takes the takes the steam out of it. Yeah, you know what? I was listening to this um, this uh, Gene Shepard show. He was talking about uh, – he was a radio host in the 60s in New York. But he was talking about, you know, people that win awards and everybody, you know, pays attention to. If you're doing it in Kansas City, nobody really cares or even notices, no matter, you know, if you're the best player whatever. Or whatever, because nobody nobody sees you, and you never win. Your team never wins. But if you're doing it in New York or Boston or L.A. or even maybe even San Francisco, Chicago, stuff like that, people notice, and that becomes, you know, that becomes the um, it gets into people's heads, and they don't think of other people. Yeah. Because I don't think the baseball writers, you know, that they 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 remember the person that's making the making the uh, highlight reel plays and all that, and. Um, Psychologically, that kind of you know, they, I don't think they look at stats that much. They can't, otherwise, other people would be getting in there, yeah, getting their gold gloves and getting in the Hall of Fame and all that. It's it's very psychological and political, as opposed to based on stats, is what what it should be. You know, for the most part. No, I totally agree with that. I totally agree. And the uh, my other pet peeve is the All Star Game. I don't. We need to change the voting somehow. And the one player, one team rule. I don't like either. I mean, uh, you know, every team gets their own gets a player, no matter what. Oh, yeah, exactly. Even the guy who gets that, you know, even the guy from Kansas City, unless he's, like, actually legitimately an all-star, usually there's at least one or two dudes on the all-star team that they only made it because they play for Baltimore or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like the, you know, the thing in kindergarten where there weren't any, you know, there aren't any losers. Of course there's losers. There's always losers. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's like everybody gets a trophy. It's not, it doesn't, you know, it kind of dilutes the whole all-star thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, how do you think the voting should be changed? First, they have to take the voting out of the hands of the fans for the <laughs> for the starting lineup or, or however for the starting positions. That it just with the internet, it's become farcical, and the big cities just right. dominate too much. And and you know, it doesn't never seems to really work out to my liking. And uh, then then I don't know how the rest of it goes because it's pretty convoluted. Because then like you know the coach picks some and the players pick some and. So I don't know. I need to actually take a better look at it before I, before I, you know, nail my proposition to the wall. Or you, or you could be a moneyball head and just say that you know, do it on pure stats. That's it. I don't care who's popular or what. Yeah, I mean that could that would be or start out off. You know. Yeah, exactly. See, I'm extra excited to have you on the show because we we kind of beat a lot of the horses dead here earlier in the show with the steroid stuff and. uh you know, Girardi going to the Yankees. Uh, were there any other off-season stuff outside of the Dodgers stuff that, that you know, piqued your interest or that you want to 
you know, have here on the record for the for the baseball special? I don't pay any attention to stuff really in the off season. You know, the the, the off season thing that of course excited me was that Tory was coming to the Dodgers. I don't know whether he's still a great manager. He seems like it. But every time they talk to him here in, in L.A., it seems like, well, I'm still juggling uh, lineups and stuff, and we'll have to see what happens. That's what he's been saying all through spring training. And <laughs> so, uh, well, you know, what the biggest off-season thing was was the steroid report, obviously. Yeah, what did you think of all that with Clemens getting all mixed up into it and the new congressional hearings and all the craziness that went on? What what, what did you take out of all that? Um. You know what? So, it's funny. It's really polarizing, the, the steroid issue. Some, some people are like, yeah, so what? You know, whatever advantage you can have to, you know, you know why not give everybody steroids? <laughs> and then on the other side, there's people that I tend to more agree with saying, you know, somebody's really good. They're trying to make themselves better or, you know, they're still good and they're trying to stay up there. Um it, you know what? It, it, to me, if I got to come down on one side or the other, yeah, it is cheating. And the, and the you know, and the people know it is because they have to do it in secret. And they, you know, and the, yeah. it's it's they're they're sneaking around behind everybody's back, and they're you know, ordering stuff uh, you know on, on the phone and having it sent to their mother's house, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, to me, that's it gives the people with the drugs an unfair advantage. And you know, apart from that, it's you know, it screws up their body. It screws up your body. It, um, ages you faster it to make it uh, induces physiological changes which are I don't even think people know exactly yet what happens to you in old age if you're doing you know steroids for you know 20 years or 10 years or whatever yeah well look at all those dead professional wrestlers that's all you need to know yeah exactly yeah I, I think they should get it out of baseball and 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 level the playing field as it were back to where you know if somebody's doing well they're just doing well it was funny when the report came out. It's <laughs> Dodgers immediately the same day on their website said no current Dodgers involved in steroid scandal. <laughs> no current, but there, there were uh, you know Eric Gagne and um, uh, who was the catcher that went to uh, uh, the Mets. I think he's in Florida now. There was two or three people on the Dodgers that were involved in it too. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't seem to have affected. Uh, God, I can't remember the catcher's name. They traded him away to uh, to, to the Mets. I think I know who you're talking about, but I can't remember his name either. God, I'm real bad. You know, my my brain's getting to the point where, it's, unless I read or heard of something that that day or the day before, it kind of leaves my consciousness. But uh, you know, suffice it to say that uh, yeah, you know, I think it was present on just about every team. And it was so so funny to see the. Uh, the uh, basic Mark McGuire replay. Well, it wasn't really a replay with Clemens. He was just like, no, I never did. No, 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 no. Yeah. McGuire took the advice of his lawyer and just said he refused to comment, which, you know, of course, in, in the Congress and the Court of Public Opinion meant, yes, he did it. Yeah. And, it, the guy, you know, you could look at the guy. The guy looked like a monster for a while. Yeah, you can't win really when you're busted like that. Uh, you know, you got to sort of fess up. Or It seems like now a lot of people are – They'll admit to it, but then have the little twist, you know, that they're, I was trying to get back from an injury or something, you know, where they try to, you know, twist it so there's, there's a meritorious reason for their using the... Yeah, actually stuff. one of the current Dodgers was involved in the, it was uh, named in the report, and I think it's the backup catcher, Mark Sweeney. All right, I'll be sure to heckle him if I... Yeah, if yeah, I you're gonna, you'll have to, um, but uh, most of the time it's going to be Russell Martin, although Sweeney's been doing pretty decently hitting anyway, and... Uh, 
in spring training. I don't, I don't know if that's because of steroids or why, but he's doing okay. I'm not sure. Now, my brother, he lives in San Diego. He went to a Dodgers game last year, and he's been raving about Dodger Stadium and Chavez Ravine ever since he went last year. So it must be some stadium. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a great stadium. It's built like, you know, like we were discussing in the early 60s. So it's funny. It doesn't have any, you know, really non-essential architectural elements in it. It's a pure baseball stadium. There's nothing in your way, no matter where you're sitting in the whole place. You've got a perfect view no matter where you sit, which you can't say that for a lot of uh, ballparks, even some of the newer ones. Yeah. Um, okay. there, are, and there are attempts to go retro and make things kind of, you know, weird and, and, and quirky and all that. They, uh, I think they take away from some of the, the – the views from different areas of the stadium. I mean, I know they still sell um, tickets right behind a pole in Fenway Park, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People pay for those seats? I can't believe it. Absolutely. I'm sure they pay a lot of money for it. Now, yeah, and they come out of the game with a crick in their neck or a <laughs> constant uh, uh, list to, to port or starboard for a while because they've been leaning over the whole game. That's why they sell beer. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's a... I really like the stadium. They keep trying to improve it, which means they're trying to make it so that they can make more money off it. But um, the fact remains that it's a, it's, it was built for baseball. It's perfect for baseball. And um, it's probably one of the oldest, you know, being the early 60s, which doesn't seem that long ago, actually, in terms of baseball, it's one of the oldest stadiums left, uh, with the exception of um, uh, Fenway Park, uh, Yankee Stadium, which is going out. And um, where did the Cubs play? Wrigley Field. Yeah. Now, my brother said it was, it's in like a, almost like a suburban neighborhood or something like that. Is that accurate, or was he just crazy? Well, I don't know what a suburb is in L.A. I mean, L.A. is just kind of a big sprawl. I guess residential, maybe. That might be a better way to put it. Yeah, it's a residential neighborhood. I mean, there, there's been a book or two written on the um, the political and, and, and social elements surrounding putting that stadium there because they, there was a whole community there that they, they just kind of they either bought them out or threw them out or forced them out. Huh. And since they're all Hispanic people, they thought, oh, who cares anyway, you know. Um, but, you know, that was that that was what was going on then. That was the march of progress, and that's, uh, that's what um, O'Malley wanted was the stadium there, and he made the deal, and people were moved out, and now there's still a residential neighborhood surrounding it with houses that were there, before, you know, way before Dodger Stadium was there. Some of them you can actually, a couple of them, I think, you can actually sort of see the field from the, no, no, you can't, no. I think they've kind of designed it so that the houses are all a little bit lower than the <laughs> level of the playing field. I, I, I guess you could sit in Griffith Park somewhere and, and sort of watch the game if you had binoculars, but it's very, it would be very difficult. Yeah, just get just go home and watch it on TV at that point. Yeah, but it is a beautiful stadium. I mean, I, I, I'm glad there's, you know, there's been some rumblings about building another stadium, and people are thinking, why? why? This one works perfectly. It's been through 8 or 10 or 12 earth, major earthquakes, and it's still there. There's no problem with it. It doesn't need to be retrofitted, and it's... Um, it's perfect, you know. It's a perfect stadium for for the uh, for the Dodgers to play in. And I'm also happy. I've even living now in this period where every stadium has some name of some team. Uh, every team stadium has a name of some uh, company that uh, bought the naming rights. That it's still actually Dodger Stadium. Mm -hmm. It's not Petco Park or Minute Maid Park, which actually used to did Minute Maid. No, not Minute Maid. Who who sponsored the? Uh, um, I think it was the Rangers. No, what's it? The Astros. Oh, the yeah. Astrodome. Yeah. Well, it used to be the Astrodome, but now it's um, 
um, it's either Minute Maid Park or something like that. But it it actually used to be Enron Field. <laughs> that changed really quickly about uh, what about 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Oh wow! <laughs> and it was when they first built it. It turned out to be a hitter's park, so people were calling it Enron Field. <laughs> um, now I know you go down to San Diego much. Have you have you been to the Petco there? Because I was there uh, last year. Uh, I went to San Diego in the summer and actually got to see a game at Petco. It was pretty cool. It was different. Yeah, I've been to Petco quite a few times. Uh, you know what? The four or five times I've been there, um, four or five of the times I've been there, my dad works at a company down in San Diego, and they have one day every year where they go to a Padres game. And they, they buy out these seats that are right next to the Padres bullpen. Yeah. And what I was saying about sight line, and they're expensive seats. I mean, they're like bench seats, and they've got a buffet there, and, you, you know, as much beer as you can, and hot dogs and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, potato salads you can stuff down your gullet. But um, one cool thing about it is it's right in front of the bullpen for the Padres. The not cool thing about it is you can't see right field. Because <laughs> so, it, it's, uh, it's in the left field bullpen. Yeah. Then there's that big, you know, there's a, there's a jumbotron in the middle of, or something in the middle of center. No, no, there's that big black wall so that uh, batters can see the ball. But the thing is so damn high up above you to the left, it's like, you know, 20, I don't know, 10, 10 15, 20 feet to the left up in the air. You see a ball heading towards left field, you look, and it just kind of disappears, and you have to listen to see what happened. <laughs> you hear a huge cheer, you know the guy caught it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, I guess it's time now for the predictions part of the show. I'm really excited about this. I'm going to have my predictions uh, at the end of the show when I do the closeout, but we, we've gotten everybody so far, four people so far. You're the fifth one here on the list, and uh, winner, of course, will get bragging rights next year on the baseball special. So are you ready for predictions? Yeah, I'll do my best. All right. That's all we ask. <laughs> we'll, start with, uh, we'll start with your home country here, National League West. Who you got? Hmm. It's going to be between the Dodgers and the Padres, and I hate to say it, but I bet the Dodgers will take it. All right. Why do you hate to say it? You don't want to jinx them. One, I don't want to jinx them. And two, I say that I automatically set myself up for disappointment if it doesn't happen. <laughs> 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 but yeah, those are, you know, and the, the Diamondbacks look good too, but it's going to, I think in the last, uh, last couple months of the season, it's going to be a uh, dogfight between the Diamondbacks, the Padres, and the Dodgers, and I, I believe the Dodgers will squeak through on the top. All right. Uh, the National League Central, or as I joked with Richard Dolan, the National League Seller. <laughs> um, a lot of people have a lot of hopes for the Cubs because of um, because of superstition. What is that, years ending in eight where they've done well? <laughs> Something like that. One. Well, it is the 100th anniversary, too, so. Yeah, that exactly. Going for so. Uh, yeah, another another uh, but uh, but a, uh, another dogfight, um, Cubs and uh, Astros, and I think the Astros will come out on top. Wow, nice. All right, I like that. I like that. You're the first to call for the Astros, so yeah, you, you're you're uh, you're cornering the market on that one. The National League East. Hmm. I'm trying to think of a team that stands out in the National League East. Uh, probably Mets again. Okay. I'm going mostly on records here and. Uh, vague ideas about personnel changes and uh, trends. I'm not going on, you know, heart and uh, hope and uh, and then uh, more importantly stats and specific players because I don't know them. 
There you go. Well, Go Riley used the Costanza method, where he picked opposite of who everyone else will pick. It's <laughs> likely. So I think you'll enjoy his picks when you hear them. So he thinks the Giants are going to win the NL West, huh? Oh, he thinks they're going all the way, baby. Oh, of course he does. <laughs> I feel bad for Adam. His team is so awful that it was like I was at a wake when we were doing the interview. It was like... <laughs> It's like polar opposites here with uh, with the Dodgers. Things are turning around so well for them, and the poor Giants are just wallowing in, in, in poor personnel decisions and all kinds of problems. I keep telling him to change his affiliation and he have more fun, but he won't. It's funny. I, I'll send him emails about something. I'll get a lot of, you know, one or two-word expletive replies in the email. <laughs> Well, we really, we really tapped into his Dodger hate in the <laughs> in the interview, so you'll get a chance to hear. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sure he said something about me too. Just that whole mind control thing with the Dodgers. He oh yeah, right. He, he thinks you're behind the whole. Thing. Yeah, well, see, that's not illegal yet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're they're ahead of the game. I, you know what? I don't get bitter. You know, baseball. Jesus, it's, it's fun, but right. All right, now the National League wild card. Who do you got? Wow. Yeah, this one's a tough one. There's, uh, you know, six or seven teams that could fill that spot. You were saying something. You know what? I'll, I'll go completely out on a limb. You were saying something about uh, Phillies. Mm-hmm. I'll put them in. All right. <laughs> it's totally stupid and completely wrong, I'm sure, but let's you know, let's use the Costanza method. Hey. Well, if you use the Costanza method, then you'd, you'd say, um, like, uh, uh, Devil Race or something, but... Or the Nationals, that's who. <laughs> the Nationals, yeah, that's it. Um, but your pick is uh, the Phillies? Yeah, why not? Okay. All right, now to the American League, uh, the American League East, my, my stomping grounds. Boston! Nice, there you go. American League Central. I don't know if Detroit's going to do anything. I, you think uh, uh, White Sox will come back? Ever since the World Series, they've been kind of you know, hanging around the top there but not quite making it. I think it's a two-horse race between the Indians and the Tigers. You know, Indians haven't been been there in quite a while. They used to be one of those, you know, always there. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go with Indians. Uh, the American League West. Angels. And the wild card. American League wild card? Yeah. You know what? I'll stick that with Chicago. All right. Chicago White Sox? Mm-hmm. All right. No playoffs for the Yankees. Nice. I like that. No, I think they're going to continue to trend downward to the delight of everybody across the country. And yes, that is an emotional heart, uh, heart-based uh, uh, assessment. That's, that's <laughs> fine. That's, that's what I'm hoping for as well. I'm hoping for that as well. Now, who will face off in the World Series? Who you got as the American League champion and the National League champion? I hate to say it, but I think it'll be Boston again. Okay. No, the only reason I hate to say it is I was so happy when they won it the first time, and the second time I was like, uh, I was like, come on, don't turn these guys into the Yankees too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not anything against Boston. It's just that I'm so democratic about things that when somebody starts to dominate constantly, after a while, I get tired of it. Everybody does. Yeah. So yeah, but I think it'll be Boston. You know what? Let's let's really screw up my emotional life for for October and say Boston and L.A. <laughs> there you go. Nice, nice. Kimball would like that. And it would be a nice full circle thing because their spring training thing out here in the, in the, in the, over the next couple of days. Exactly, yeah. It would be one of those things where it would be karmic. Yeah, exactly. And Let's who, see what happens. I'm sure I'm going to be completely wrong on just about all of those except for, I hope, the last one. And who you have winning it all? Who's your World Series champions for 2008? You know, if it's between Boston, I should pick somebody else besides Boston and L.A. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep my loyalty and say L.A. All right. 
Sounds good. Although I don't think they can do it. Yeah, everyone will think you're a genius if you get this right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know I probably have the dumbest predictions of anybody because I, I don't pay too much attention to other teams except maybe their win-loss records and um, you know where they were in the in the in the, in the playoffs last year. Yeah, I year before the year before that, you know. Yeah, I'm a little weak on the National League, but I I, I follow the American League as close as I can, pretty much. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm exactly the opposite because the Dodgers National League. Yep. So I'm aware of those teams and the players because I see them when they come into town. Exactly. That's why I like having the special here with you and Go Riley. You're my National League representative, so it, it works out well. Who did he think was going to uh, win? He has the Giants going all the way. Oh, okay. Over in the Costanza field, so. Uh, well, then, then, then uh, I'm proud of him, and I'm glad he made those predictions. Yeah, I don't Giants. I think they're going to come true. They probably won't be any better than mine, but. Giants over the Texas Rangers in the <laughs> Rangers, really? Oh yeah, I told you, do the Costanza method. Where do you see these picks? They're all over the map. <laughs> They're great. Uh, the the, has he got the Brewers in there somewhere? Um, no, I think uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates will be. Will be oh, okay, that's right. Of course. Um, all right. Well, I guess that concludes the baseball talk of the show. Uh, before we we wrap it up here, what's what's coming up for you, Greg? What do you have coming down the line? I know you're going to be at UFO Retro Three, um, and all kinds of other exciting stuff. So, uh, you know, plug away here. Yeah, the retro conference is the last weekend in April. I think it's the 28th and 29th. It is the 26th and 27th. Oh, 26th and 7th. Thank you. I don't even going to speak at it. I don't even know. And uh, Adam Go Rightly speaking there. Chica Bruce, who hardly I hardly ever see speaking anywhere uh, that I know of. Um, Ken Thomas, uh, Nick Redfern. Um, and then from the, uh, we actually have an old-time contactee, Robert Short, who's still around and preaching the gospel of the Space Brothers, thank goodness. Adam's going to do some music along with the guitarist. I guess Adam's going to play his theremin. Yes, yes, he was saying that. <laughs> yeah, um, I was actually playing the theremin, Adam's theremin, inside the Integratron last year, and the, the acoustics in there make it sound even weirder than it normally does. And it's going to be other music. There's uh, uh, Tim Cridlin, the uh, torture king, basically a guy that sticks pins and needles through his skin and his tongue and all that. Um, he has a Vegas act, actually. Oh, nice. That's how he makes his living, I think, uh, apart from writing. He's going to be there. Uh, there's going to be a trip out to Giant Rock uh, with Robert Short and possibly me. I'm not sure. And if the wind is right, I'm going to fly into the convention and scare everybody. Wow. Nice. Nice. I'm going to really do that. The wind. People can find out more on that at retrouFO.com. That's the website right. for it. So check that out and make your plans now, folks, because you're you know you're running out of time here, which I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're up against the clock on getting to this thing. So you, if you want to check it out, definitely uh, do so, because all the all the cool folks from Banal of America Audio are going to be there, like you and Kimball and Go Rightly and Nick Redfern. So it's like a party there. Obviously, people can check out UFO Mystic for all the great stuff from you and the awesome radio program, Radio Mysterioso. You've had some great episodes in the last few weeks. People can check all that stuff out, right, too? Yeah, de definitely. Um, within about a week or two after I have a guest on, I usually put it up for podcast on RadioForAll.net. I'm looking for another server to host or a, a system or somebody to host the podcast because Radio For All is very unreliable. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. I use them too, and uh, my podcast feeds, it's uh, hit or miss. You never know if it's going to be up or down. You know why you use them? Because you asked me really early on. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, you're to blame. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the man responsible for the poor podcast. We finally got him on the show. and we can Yeah, well, when I find a better one, or you do, let's tell each other about it, and then we can move over to that one and have a lot more uh, reliable resources for people that want to listen to him because Internet radio is not live radio. It's podcasting. Exactly, yeah. I like doing the shows live. I don't know why. I just really like that. I like being at a station with a bunch of controls and places I can play music and having somebody there on the phone and basically doing it live, whether people call in or not, I don't really mind. It's nice when they do. But, you know, 99% of the listeners come through download. Exactly. Because people can't remember every Sunday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Pacific to listen to my show, but they can remember, oh, here's somebody I missed, and they can go download that. And last week it was Peter Robbins, and we only talked about UFOs in the last, like, 40 minutes. The rest of the time he was talking about uh, his adventures in Afghanistan and India in the, in the late 60s or in the early 70s. Yeah, Peter's great. I'm hoping we can get him back on the show soon. He's uh he, he's just a storyteller of amazing proportions. Yeah, exactly. And the, the – um, Next week, I'm, I'm going to have a show having nothing whatsoever to do with UFOs, which I've done once before when I talked to my flying instructor. Um, uh, one of the co-authors of Weird California is going to be on with me, Joe Osterley, um, who actually used to be a uh, writer for National Lampoon when they went on the web. Oh, nice. Um, and... Uh, Whatever you think of National Lampoon, he is, at least after about 1978, when they stopped being funny, uh, <laughs> he is, he's been a stand-up comedian. He's acted in um, improv theater, and he, he makes at least part or maybe most of his living from being funny. So what we're going to do is uh, go through the history of comedy and, and play a bunch of comedy records and discuss why they're funny and laugh about them and, and uh, just – the whole subject of humor and satire and, and what makes that attractive and why it's, uh, why it's a, uh, a, a necessary, you know, social, um, lubricant or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, that it's going to be two hours just on humor. Nice, nice. So it's like a baseball special of sorts. So you got to go off topic sometimes. There's life outside of UFOs, folks. That's the point of this show. You just can't get all wrapped up in, in just UFOs and forget about the rest of the, the real world. Right. Oh, the other thing is um, I'm speaking at the Roswell Conference again this year, too. Nice. All right. I'm sure we'll hear more about that at UFO Mystic anyway, right? Yes, as, as the time draws nearer, yes. Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming back here on the baseball special. I really appreciate it. Um, like I said, people can find out more from UFO Mystic, and uh, you post there about Radio Mysterioso so they can find out about the show there. And, of course, you're going to be at the UFO Retro Con 3. April 26th and April 27th at the world-famous Integratron in Landers, California, and find out about that at RetroUFO.com. Uh, Greg, like I said, I can't thank you enough. Second appearance here this season. Uh, I enjoy talking to you so much. I Hopefully we can meet up soon this time uh, for real this year sometime. If I'm if I'm not out there at the RetroCon, I'll be out in San Diego at some point. So hopefully our paths Tell me when you're coming soon. down to San Diego, and um, I'll come down. We'll go catch a Padres game. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. All right. Thanks again. Take it easy. Thank you, Tim. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. That does it for the second annual BOA Audio Baseball Special. Huge uber thanks to all five great guests who appeared on the program, Paul Kimmel, Lauren Coleman, Richard Dolan, Adam Gorightly, and Greg Bishop. 
tremendous guys. Can't wait to talk to them in 2009 to kick off the baseball season and see how these predictions size up. Speaking of which, now I will reveal my picks. That way, we can all be on a fair playing field. Here we go. Here are my picks for the 2008 baseball season. American League East, the Boston Red Sox. American League Central, the Detroit Tigers. American League West, the Seattle Mariners. American League Wildcard, the New York Yankees. In the NL East, I have the New York Mets. In the National League Central, the Chicago Cubs. In the NL West, Arizona Diamondbacks. NL Wildcard, the LA Dodgers. And facing off in the World Series will be the Detroit Tigers and the Chicago Cubs. And my pick for the World Champions of 2008, I'm pulling a Kimball, I'm picking the Tigers, and I think they've got all of the necessary intangibles to go all the way this year, and I'm sticking by that prediction. We'll see who wins in November. It's a long way off, but we're going to put these predictions in the vault and dig them out in the beginning of November and see who has the baseball prognostication powers. I'm putting my money on Lauren Coleman, to tell you the truth. I have a feeling Lauren Coleman is going to score huge, and we're going to be stunned. Anyway, if you lasted this long, folks, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Like I said at the beginning of the show, the baseball special is about one thing and one thing only. A lesson I learned over the course of the last year, definitely. you got to have other stuff going on. You can't just make it the paranormal your life. It's all right to live within the world of the paranormal, but don't live it. Don't live of it you know what I mean. That's what life's all about. Stopping, smelling the roses, and, you know, saying, hey, wait a minute, this paranormal shit's been going on for a long time, so let's kick back and relax and talk a little bit about something else for a change. We're already way, way past three hours at this point, so we're going to blow off BOA Audio listener feedback. want to throw in a plug, though, for the official BOA forum, the USV.com. T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E dot com, the U-S-O-F-E dot com. Make it your hangout, make it your clubhouse, it's where we all hang out. It's the U-S-O-F-E dot com, the official BOA forum, check that out. Heading toward the close of the show here now, it is time for the thanks part of the program. You know them, you love them, you've heard of them every week here on the show. Soon you're going to be hearing from them. They are the infamous and outstanding BOA staff. Leslie Chiron, Arlie, Joe V, Tina Senna, and Rochelle Hawks. We say it week in and week out. If you're only listening to BOA Audio and you're not checking out BOA on a seven-day basis, you are really missing out on some top-notch esoteric material. Benallofamerica.com. Make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Donation time, donation time. This is the part of the show where I ask you to make donations. You know how to do it. You go to banalofamerica.com, you click the PayPal button, and you make a donation. Two-hour-long international calls, five interviews in one episode, hopefully down the line some trips to various conferences to do some on-site reporting. That's what BOA Audio is all about. How do we keep this kind of standard up through donations from the folks who listen to the show? The program is free. We rely on your donations. We're like the Charlie Rose Show, only a little more esoteric, but we do need your donations. You heard me run down how to do it already, PayPal button, at BOA, click it, make a donation, no donation is too small, 
and all donations go towards keeping BOA free of charge for all of our great listeners and readers the world over. Next week on the program, it is going to be a very fascinating interview. I'm not even going to talk about it because it's not going to be taped till Friday, and you know how touch-and-go things are sometimes. This guy may not work out. You don't know. So, all I'm going to say is one word, and you can do your own research on this till we talk again next week. And that word is Rumspringa. That's it. That's all I got for you. Rumspringa. Next week on BOA. It's going to be a Rumspringa Festivus, and it's going to knock your socks off, I hope. And on that note, we don't have anything left to say. As I said earlier in the program, though, thank you so much for listening, folks. This was a long-ass episode, but in a lot of ways, it is in keeping with what the baseball special should be. It should be nearly baseball game length, which is what this thing turned out to be. It was the second annual BOA Audio Baseball Special. We'll be back next year for another celebration of America's pastime. And, of course, next week with more off-kilter esoteric audio. Come on back for that. Until then, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.